Welcome to Launchpad, where we're here with Matt Hunkler, and we're going to learn about how we're all idiots in different ways, how to pick up the ladies with magic tricks, and how to pitch like a boss. Welcome to Launchpad, where we talk about um, everything that it takes to be crazy enough to be in business for yourself. So from the failure to the wild, crazy parties with uh, the Playboy girls and, uh, you know, living in the street after you messed up and lost everything. So, oh, man. Yeah, I know. It's I'm terrible. living somewhere in the middle of that. <laughs> somewhere in the middle. Me too. <laughs> we, um, so today we have um, Matt um, Hunkler. Nailed it. Matt Hunkler. Today we have Matt Hunkler, and uh, we'd like to start every episode by getting ourselves a beer. So, Matt, why don't you uh, do me the honors of... Thank you very Filling much. I just I just pop it down, yeah. Yep. Push it down. Let go. Watch it fill up. I like it. There's something like very meditative about watching a beer fill up By itself. from the bottom. Yeah. It's really quite majestic. It's very majestic. And then pick it up. And just jerk it off there. Yeah. Aha. No spillage. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so, for having me. Welcome to the show, Matt. Your company's name is Verge. Why don't you tell us about Verge? Yeah, it is indeed. Uh, so Verge or Verge HQ, uh, you can find us at vergehq.com. Uh, we're a network of about 7,000 tech entrepreneurs, developers, and investors who are growing startups outside the Silicon Valley bubble. So uh, we have several hubs here in Indiana, as well as some hubs outside of Indiana. And a hub means uh, that's a city that has chosen to host Verge events, uh, where are where there are evening events that are pitch events you know, rapid fire, five minute pitches. I think you went to one last night. I did my first one last night. Here in night. Indianapolis. Great. Um, so we're in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, uh, looking at getting into Boulder, Colorado, uh, and some of the other, um, I, I don't like to use the word second tier, uh, startup cities, but if I say second tier startup cities, you probably get an idea of what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. And, um, it's just amazing, uh, the kind of companies that people are building outside of, uh, the Valley and the way that they're doing it and the way they're raising money, the way they're building technology, uh, it's a totally different route than you would do in, uh, San Francisco or the Bay area. It, it has been, it's been quite a unique experience for me building a business outside of, uh, well, outside of the well, first tier startup community. Yeah. Um, it's been very different. So how, how, I mean, everything I've read about you, uh, you seem to be somewhat of a startup junkie, correct? You've been involved <laughs> in startups from the beginning. How old are you? Uh, I'm 28. You're 28. Okay. Yeah. And how, when did you get started? How'd you get into it? Well, so I grew up in a town called West Lafayette mm-hmm. where Purdue university is. And, um, uh, as, as soon as I could work, I was working, uh, you know, so kind of came from a lower middle class family. Um, West Lafayette's a really nice town. Uh, pretty, pretty fortunate that, you know, went through public schools. Um, but those public schools were with all the sons and daughters of the professors and faculty at Purdue. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, really, really diverse background. Um, people are always shocked when they meet my friends from high school uh, and they're in San Francisco or in New York City. And they're like, wait, all these people grew up in Indiana? And then it's <laughs> like, yeah, you know, we're, we're just kind of a motley crew. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the minority in the sense that I'm just like a, a white dude from Indiana. Everyone else is from, you know, Poland or Korea or... Uh, Singapore or somewhere else. And um, so, so being so, I got my first job when I was, oh, I don't know, how, what's the youngest you're allowed to work? Probably 12? 
uh, I don't think you're allowed to work at 12, but sure. I mean, paper I was, route. Paper, I was working paper route was yeah. the, like the loophole in that system. You had, you had a paper route. I had a paper yes. route. So I had a paper route for six years and um, saved every penny I could um, for an opportunity that I got when I was in high school. So I, I tried to save every penny I could um, to go overseas to travel through Europe through That's this impressive. student ambassador program. Well, it would have been impressive if I had afforded to do it, but okay. uh, even, sa- <laughs> even saving all that money, um, you know, it, it just doesn't cover, uh, you know, I think it was like a little over a month in Europe uh, and I really wanted to go and I didn't get the chance to between my sophomore and junior year. Um, but I, I asked if, hey, if I can figure out a way to make enough money by next summer, will you let me go with the sophomores when I'm a junior? And they said, yeah. And so that's when I got creative and started my first company. So I had invested some of my paper out money into um, turntable equipment because I wanted to DJ because that's that's a of thing, course right? you did yeah, yeah. Um, that's a thing white guys do in in uh, the Midwest. I can I'm picturing you in your hip hop gear. Oh yeah, at yeah. A I mean the, the hat is I'm not, I don't <laughs> usually wear hats, but uh, if, if I were DJing, I totally would have been wearing a hat. Um, yeah, I, I did a lot of like kind of like the turntableism stuff. Uh, eventually. The turntables kind of took aside. Turntableism is yep, that a word? Exactly, <laughs> it, it, it is totally a word. It Check it out. They actually have, they actually have uh, courses on it in Berkeley. Nice, uh, the Berkeley <laughs> School of Music that you can go and take. Um, there, and there's a whole history I could get into. And actually, last night you heard my um, you heard my LL Cool J versus Biggie Smalls. I did going back to Cali reference and Doug Carr was actually one of the people that called me out on that email newsletter saying that it was an LL Cool J reference when in fact. It was a Biggie Smalls reference. <laughs> um, we'll have to link that up in the show yeah. notes or something. Um, but but basically, I took that, which was a, a, a liability in in the terminology of this business one business book that I had read, which mm-hmm. was uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Okay, this is the long winded version of the story. So hey, by all means, I mean we have unlimited supply of beer. So yeah. we're gonna uh, be here all night, really. In in his terminology, it's a very different. Um, different way of using assets and liabilities. Um, and the, the meaning in Rich Dad Poor Dad was anything that takes money out of your pocket is a liability. Mm-hmm. Unless you find a way to earn money with that, then it becomes an asset. And so um, it was actually my dad that was having a conversation about the book with me and said, so like, how could you, if you were to buy a car. How you read could, Rich Dad Poor Dad at what age? I think maybe 16, nice. 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, library card, man. That's impressive. I'm impressed. <laughs> library card. And actually, I think I, I, I'm pretty sure it was an audio book or an audio CD. Mm-hmm. Right? What's and a I, CD? And I, exactly. <laughs> Compact disc. Um, well, and actually I have to, I used to have to describe what vinyl was when I would give talks at like universities and things like that. But now vinyl is all cool again. So now I have to explain what, what a CD is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I can't wait till they come back. But, but the funny thing is you say, what's a CD? That was my service is I would take vinyl records and digitize them onto CD no shit. Uh, for a small fee. you know, basically we would, um, digitize them. I would remaster them, uh, cut it into tracks because when you play something analog into a computer, it ends up just being one big long track. So I would remaster it, cut it into, um, different tracks. Eventually I trained my sister how to do a lot of this stuff. Um, and, and it it was really cool experience because I could choose whether or not I wanted to actually listen to it, listen to the record while it was playing in. And, um, and listen to some amazing albums, like some some like f- some like 
Zeppelin albums that were like live albums from Germany that were only 500 copies of. Like I, that was one I distinctly remember. But then I also listened to a lot of like Linda Ronstadt and uh, Neil Diamond and stuff that just, you know, really didn't, uh, my, my palate was not right. developed enough to appreciate <laughs> well, well Linda Ronstadt yet. Um, so, so that was a cool experience and was able to make enough money to go overseas. And that's kind of what the long-winded version of that's what changed my perspective on business, uh, really for the rest of my life and what a career could actually be. Um, and and I, I sort of found my calling early. You absolutely found your calling early. What was your next step? I mean, you get back from Europe, you have your thriving digital remastering business of vinyl records to CDs. What, what'd you do next? You know, it's, it's funny. Um, it's funny thinking back to it because really it, it was very much like, okay, I have a goal and I'm going to work until I reach that goal. And basically once I reached that goal, like didn't do records anymore. Like I had the money. Okay. I'm good. Uh, now it's time to start thinking about a real job and yeah, a real job, a real means, job. Yeah. A real job means apply to college and you know, go, go into debt and, and go to college. And I ended up doing that and stuck with my original career path. I was a very driven uh, kid early on. I can tell. I really liked. Uh, I really liked to draw. I would draw comic books like throughout class. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, all my literature books I, I kept because I would have like flip books, like forwards and backwards. You could flip through like King Arthur, like forward, and it was usually like Dragon Ball Z fights or something like that. <laughs> like like forward and backwards, like all the way across the page. You would just like these fight scenes um, that that were full. I should have brought one. That would have been uh, that would have been interesting. Um, I'll see if I can find one and, uh, and, <laughs> I'd love to and, see your early shoot work. a video. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so, so I continued down the architecture route, went to uh-huh. Purdue for engineering and business because I was like, Oh, well clearly I'm going to own my own architecture firm someday because mm-hmm. architecture is how you can be creative and draw and get paid for it. My mom is a guidance counselor, uh, at the time she's now a mental health counselor. Um, and, and so she kind of helped me find that path when I was in like middle school. Well, I, I had an internship my senior year of high school that was an architecture. Basically, I was doing the job of an architect, but I was unlicensed, so they could pay me $10 an hour. Uh-huh. Um, and I decided during that internship that that was not the route for me. Um, I, I still love architecture. I still have like Frank Lloyd Wright books all over my house, and I, I really appreciate good architecture. Uh, it's a shame that in the U S and really worldwide, just architecture is not valued, uh, like it once was. I would agree. With um, that. and even previously it was still really hard to get Frank to Lloyd Wright is actually one of my favorite architects. Oh, we really? actually have a very similar, uh, passion early on in our, Oh, no our kidding. Lives. Were you yeah. into architecture? Uh, I, I got into the sign business. Okay. Um, because, well, because of architecture. So, um, I wanted to be an industrial engineer. Yeah, and that's what I had started what to I go to, to school, school for. Yeah. yeah, and I actually dropped out of school um, after I was having beers one night. So you were smart, right? Well, i I was trying to I was I was trying to go to school, and I have a long winded version of this story as well, but I'll try to keep it tight. Um, and I was working two jobs at two different sign companies. So I'd get off my day job at a sign company, I'd go moonlight at another sign company, and I was standing around the um, the the oven in the shop we had like a wood-fired oven it was just at working we were working at a guy's barn and i was bitching about school and like falling asleep on my books and not being able to 
I wasn't doing very well in school. I was trying to work two jobs. And he's like, he facetiously said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what are you going to school to be? And I said, well, I want to be an industrial engineer. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, what do you want to what do you want to do? What field do you want to work in? And I said, I'd like to be in the sign business. And he said, you realize you have the job you're going to school to get right now, right? And this business moves faster than you can go to school to learn it. And you could take your portfolio into any company in the country and have a job in five minutes. So what are you doing? (laughs) And it took about two weeks for that to set in. I went into my business management class and uh, it was the first day of it. It was right in between switching semesters and the business management professor said, Hey, um, like 85% of this shit, he didn't say it like that. 85% of this shit is uh, learned on the job. Yep. And I said, I already am a manager at a sign company. Like what, what am I doing? So that's when it really set in. And I, I didn't go back the next day. I dropped out of school and. Oh, you didn't like leave during that class. You should have been, I should have just like the threw the book down and walked Who's out. Who's coming with me? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't do that. I wish that it would have been way better. That would have been way better. But anyway, so yeah, we have very similar um, passions in our early on. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, I mean, um, I, I think it's good to find out early mm-hmm. that something's not for you. And, and I continued to pursue it. I mean, even into college because I wasn't sure. And, you know, the decision had been made and everything seems so final <laughs> when, you're, when you're that young and you haven't made any real decisions in your life. Yeah. It's like the first real decision I made and I screwed it up. Um but, you know, I got a lot out of going to Purdue for that year. I made a, a couple of really close friends. They're still some of my best friends. Um, and then at the same time, uh, I had a little bit of exposure to uh, internet and the web. So basically, each side of an LP uh, vinyl record is around 18 to 22 minutes, uh, depending on the record. And that would give me basically that time when, when you're playing that through, you can't actually start digitizing the file, the sound file until it's played all the way through, um, or at least remastering it. Uh-huh. Obviously, it's digitizing the entire time. Um, so I would just go on the internet and explore different ways to make money with the internet. I thought you were going to say porn. <laughs> that, that, that probably, <laughs> that's probably what a normal kid would have done. <laughs> yeah. But I was uh, not a normal kid. Like I, I was just really passionate about kind of uh, reaching a higher rung, uh, and, and later on in my career, it got a lot more purpose driven, but mm-hmm. early on it was totally like, so I didn't have to buy my clothes at target. Um, which at the time was not like a good place to buy clothes. Now I actually still buy my clothes at target, <laughs> but not because I have to. Um, it's a choice. Now. Yeah, exactly. Now it's a choice. And now targets a much different company, uh, than it was in 2004. Um, but yeah, so I, I learned a little bit about web development, web design, uh, and it was when I was in college uh, at IU, my first summer at IU, uh, I was like, all right, should I get a job uh, or should I uh, start a company? And I decided I was going to start a company because the year before I had decided <laughs> to get a job to pay for my transfer between Purdue and IU. So I had a full ride to IU if I had just taken it and done the Kelly School of Business direct admit mm-hmm. out of college. But I was I grew up in a Purdue town, so I didn't even go tour the campus. I was just like, "Oh, idiots go to IU. That's 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 for fools." <laughs> um, and you know they do a really good job of like kind of pounding that into you from preschool if you grew up in West Lafayette. So uh, I transferred to IU, lost my full ride. You know, it turned into uh, you know tens of thousands of dollars that I shouldn't have had to pay for if I had. Just made the right decision the first time. Nobody makes the right decision the first time. It's okay. It, it all so uh, spoiler alert. It all worked out. But I, uh, 
<laughs> clearly <laughs> you're not i i ended up one of our to, homeless guests i ended up having to get a job um between transferring so one of those was i was doing like freelance gigs uh for professional magic <laughs> so outstanding do you know any magic tricks that you can do right now uh i'm working on making this beer disappear <laughs> um, work. i made it up here you got to make it disappear yeah i'm trying i'm let, let's see i'm trying to think the the yes the tough thing is if i do a magic trick for you the camera is going to see what's going on <laughs> if i do a, a magic trick for the camera I'll you're going to see what's going on uh so that's so what you're a, saying is a tough it's, one it's, you have a deck of cards <laughs> maybe that'll be like in the uh the added material at the end so keep watching because we might find a deck of cards i have one in my car i always keep one in my car um but yeah so magic was something i picked up when i was in grade school and uh, had turned into a hobby again. So I totally dropped it in middle school when I realized I was seriously harming my social life by Which being the weird kid in Magic Club. A, a magic trick would, would just slay right now with the ladies. Well, I mean, yeah. that's, that's actually how I got back into it of in course. high school. David Blaine's special came out. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I saw the tricks he was doing. And, and like he has an amazing per- persona, awesome uh, performance style which is, is really what was revolutionary, that the effects that he's doing, because in magic you don't call them tricks, they're effects. Uh, tricks are something that you uh, do, what is it? Tricks are something you do on the corner for money. That, that's the one from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't nice. know. Uh, or not, not Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? I, it's, um, it's a different show. Well, Curb Your Enthusiasm is the one with the magician in it. No, the, the Job... Yeah. Joe, Joe the Magician. It's not Curb. Arrested Development. Arrested Development. Arrested Development. Thank right. you. Thank Lifeline. You. Yep. All right. So um, uh, where That's was bad. I? Where was I? <laughs> You're talking uh, about so picking up ladies with magic so tricks. So the, the effects that he's doing, mm-hmm. uh, the effects that David Blaine did in that special um, weren't that special. Like they were like pretty, pretty basic, well-known effects in the, in the in world the of magic. Yeah. In the biz, right? <laughs> Which I totally wasn't in because I grew up in West Lafayette, Indiana. <laughs> Uh, the people like my magic club met at Hardee's. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was that kind of magic club. Um, and so I picked it back up, you know, and then picked up the books um, that I had had previously and just kind of brushed myself up on it. And then when I was doing magic, like at some frat party at Purdue, um, it was like senior night or, or not senior night. What is it called? Homecoming. It was homecoming. So there was like some guy who had made a bunch of money and come back to his fraternity and like I pretended like I was rushing, but I I had no intention of joining a fraternity. Um, I just wanted to go to the parties, so I, I'd always end up doing like magic in some like back room with like a bunch of people watching, uh, and like just I'll spare I'll spare the details, but it was interesting. And this guy was that like, "How much? Amazing. How much do you charge for for shows?" And I threw out like the most obscene number because I was like, "I don't want to do a show." Like, but he was like, "How much do you do for shows?" Because I've got this wedding this week, you know, this Saturday, and I was like. I don't want to go like Saturday. I'm going to want to sleep all day. So I'm going to say hundred dollars an hour. And he was like done and like paid me. You're like, there. fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah I, was like, I was like, all right, I guess I got to go. Um, and so that's how my magic career <laughs> got started. started. Yeah. Accidentally. So I was doing freelance magic gigs, but then also to supplement that, uh, I sold vacuum cleaners door to door, uh, for that entire summer. One of the hottest summers Dude, you're in Indiana hus- history. Uh, had to had to make that paper, man. I had to pay the uh, the tuition, so uh, that was an interesting experience. Uh, 
and, and sales, as you know, is like one of the most valuable skills in business. It is. If you can sell I'm a $2,000 vacuum cleaner to someone who <laughs> didn't know that they wanted to buy a $2,000 vacuum cleaner. My ex-wife bought one. I came home. Oh, and yeah? She's like, I got a new vacuum. I'm like, great. What'd you spend on that? $2,000. You what? <laughs> oh, no. What was wrong with the Dyson I bought you last month? Was it a Kirby? Yes. I loved I loved selling to people who bought Dysons. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Anyway, they're, carry they're on. They're good vacuums. I, st- I still use one. <laughs> yeah. I still use one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, I do. Is, this is a traumatic memory for me. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. but the best is when you can sell two vacuum cleaners to one household because <laughs> it's the best vacuum cleaner, but it's also the heaviest vacuum cleaner. Oh, yeah. You don't want so to haul it upstairs. If, if you're the one doing all the cleaning, then you know your wife really should have one for each floor so she doesn't have to lug it up and down the stairs. Yeah. That's considerate. Uh, so, <laughs> so, <Asshole>. <laughs> hey, they were always very, very happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and actually, magic would help I because bet. if if ever anyone was getting bored, you know, it was you're put, basically putting on a show, mm-hmm. uh, and so making sure it stays interesting. You can only talk about cl- how clean your floors get, maybe for like twenty minutes at a time, and you got to kind of like intermission with some magic tricks and some banter. And it's genius, absolutely genius. It worked out. I don't know if it was genius. It was. It was dumb luck that it, it, it worked out um that's actually how i got to vegas because i sold the most vacuum cleaners uh in indiana no shit. and uh went on a and, and you and your significant other so i took my girlfriend at the time today here with matt hinkler hunkler excuse me uh the vacuum cleaner salesman that's how we should have opened i i, I don't think so yeah. i don't i don't want that to stick um but no i i um the first real company I started was the summer after that. And I was like, I don't want to sell vacuum cleaners again. So all of that was basically to say, I don't want to sell vacuum cleaners again. Um, and I, I want to have a company that works for me, not me working for it. And so that's when I started SureSight Design, which is a web design internet marketing firm, used subcontractors from all over the world. So this is back when like outsourcing, you know, things like uh, uh, Elance or Upwork, uh, that was all new at the time. I have no idea what those things are. Okay, so those are those are all like the freelancer websites where okay. you can go on and like find a, a developer or a designer yep. or a copywriter, um, and and it's it's basically the the way the entire economy is going now, right? Like so, people treat it as a business. People treat it like the business of you, mm-hmm. right? And how well you can market yourself and brand yourself. Uh, there's been a lot of articles written on it recently that just that's sort of the direction. Um, that the world is going in general. But um, at the time, this is like 2007. So I ended up going, um, I ended up going and find these people all over the world. We had a network of about 20 or so developers, designers, writers. Um, and at, you know, at, at its biggest point, eventually found some people up in Indianapolis that were interested in buying it. Um, I was looking at joining this fellowship program in Indianapolis called the Or Fellowship Program, which was an entrepreneurial fellowship. Uh, which kind of like spoke to me at the time. And um, and then ultimately one of my employees ended up buying it in sort of an earn out uh, arrangement, which if you've never done an earn out, uh, it's, it's one of the more painful ways to sell your business. I've never um, done an earn out. But it, yeah. it, it was... Um, but it was a good experience, and I'm happy that Explain he... Explain what an earnout is an for earn, everyone earn, listening. Sorry. So an earnout is basically when someone buys your business and they earn you out of your equity share based on the revenues or the income that they generate from your business. Uh, so there's a lot of assumptions there. The first and like most important one is that this person can run a business as well as you can, uh-huh. or this person can run your business as well as you can. 
and um and you know that just took some coaching and training and time um and i'm really glad that it worked out for this person still friends with this guy to this day um and it was a cool experience to you know to have that like sell your company thing out of the way um at least as sort of like a a a barrier or like a a process that i at least now understand Uh um which is is a way to extract value from a business once you've kind of built it up to a particular level yeah i would I would say so. <laughs> so uh, that brought me to Indianapolis, and um, I told myself it's a two-year fellowship, uh-huh. right? So, so stop me anywhere if you want me to stop talking. Uh, and want to? I'm get, clearly not doing a very good job of it. So just different path. Carry on, man. You're, um, you're kicking ass. Well, you you, you asked a very open-ended question. Uh, I'm good. I'm good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I um, I told myself that I would give myself two years to work this fellowship program and just be an employee and focus on learning as much as I could in this role. And so the OR Fellowship had the promise of, hey, we're going to pair you up with a high growth company that uh, you're going to have access. It's not a corner office spot. Mm-hmm. It's in fact the opposite. You might be clearing paper jams um, and taking out the trash, which I did stuff like that pretty frequently at this, at this role, but you'll have access to the leadership there. And so the company that I got placed at, actually, which is not far from the studio, uh, I drove past on the way here, actually, on Morency Trail uh, off of 62. Um, but Blue Lock, it was a cloud computing company back before cloud computing even had a name, back before Salesforce popularized yeah. the term, basically. Um, and so that thing grew like crazy. In the, in the year and a half I was there, I was like employee 12. It grew to over 36, maybe. So it was the first venture-funded company I had I had worked with. Um, you know, uh, Kirby is actually a Berkshire Hathaway company, so I guess technically that was a funded company. <laughs> technically, but uh, technically, but the first technology-funded, venture-backed, kind of Silicon Valley-esque, um, but in the Midwest company that uh, I had worked at. Have you seen the show Silicon Valley? Oh yeah, absolutely Isn't it amazing. Yeah, yeah. Are, you, are you on the current season? Yeah, I'm. I'm is it all as good as the up. first one. Oh yeah, they did a great job. Really? Okay. Yeah. Especially is, with that is second season all the way done? On. Yep. All right, cool. Yeah. Looks like I know what I'm doing this weekend. Yeah, binge watching that. It's yeah. amazing. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, carry on. No, I I uh, huge fan of that. I actually watched season one uh, when I was flying to and from the Philippines last year. Nice. Um, which was a an awesome way to spend time. Like basically, didn't even feel the flight because I was, <laughs> I was binge watching on HBO on demand uh, in the skies. So uh, I told myself I I'd, I'd wait two years. Uh, basically, that lasted about two months. Uh, it was two weeks before I was talking to somebody about starting something. Um, he came to me. So to be fair, I I wasn't seeking it out, but someone found me and said, Hey, uh, I've got this idea. Uh, I've got the capital. Um, I need some help on the technology and and what it takes to actually put together a startup. You want to go do it. And, um, it was something that I was, uh, actually passionate about. And, um, the more I learned about it, the more passionate about it I got. And so ended up going down that and launching an e-commerce company with him before I even moved to Indianapolis. So, um, so that was a unique experience. And so by the time I was working at Blue Lock, I was doing, you know, 50, 60 hour weeks at Blue Lock because it was a startup. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also had, you know, five to 10 hours of or fellowship stuff every month. And then on top of that, I was doing, you know, 10 to 20 hours a week 
on Repurify. So Repurify was my e-commerce project that I started selling non-toxic personal care products and cosmetics. Um, doing basically what Birchbox does now. It, it's like basically what several companies do now, uh, except like all in one and trying to do it all at once, uh, which is exactly not how you're supposed to do a startup. Yeah, no. Not um, to do that. And and we uh, we did a lot of things that if I could go back I would do them so differently, uh, but at the same time like the things I would do differently some of those things aren't even weren't even available at the time like Amazon EC2 wasn't even there fulfillment by Amazon wasn't there um, a, a lot of products and services that make it easy for startups to scale just weren't as accessible or even invented yet yeah nobody come up with them <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh, there are a lot of things I would do differently. Uh, if I went back and did that, but it was a huge learning experience. And because I was working on that project, that's why I started Verge. Um, you know, I had moved to a new city. So you've got three things going. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you started a fourth thing. Yeah. Okay. Yep. We're kind of getting an idea of your personality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so this is this is like Matt 2.0. I, I would, I'm probably on version four or five right now. Yeah. Um, so this, this is, this is, I like that. Well said. That's yeah. Good. So it's, <laughs> I live in the tech world. So yeah. every, everything is point O's, um, or, or point one. Um, so I, I think that for whatever reason, I was just like, if I'm awake, I'm working. And if I'm asleep, I'm doing it for as little time as possible. And something about being like young and in your twenties and, uh, and being in a new city and my girlfriend lives in a different city, so like I was pretty um, distraction-free is not the right phrase because <laughs> that that paints my girlfriend at the time as a distraction. But I, I we completely I, understand anybody that is involved in business in any way, shape, or form yeah, gets what you I, just said. I had the ability to offensive. focus on my business, ladies. It's not offensive. <laughs> we promise. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't mean it in an offensive way. Um, but but yeah, so I, I was just hustling as much as I could. And my role at Blue Lock was a sales. Do you ever have a, a moment? So I used to do this. Uh, I, I don't work as myself as to death as I used to. But um, to the point where I would, if I stopped moving, I would fall asleep. Mm. So I'd go out to dinner with my wife or whatever, and I'd be like like falling asleep at the table. I was a master of power naps. Nice. Master of power naps. I, I wouldn't fall asleep if someone else was there. But like, <laughs> you put me in a, a dark room by myself, out. out. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I... I you know, oh, I've got 12 minutes after lunch. Cool. I'm going back into the data center and I'm going <laughs> to take a nap. That's impressive. Yeah. So I just be out, back up and, and go. And I don't really uh, power nap anymore unless I'm like working on a release or a product or something like that. And I, I know I need it. Sometimes at a conference, I'll like sneak one in. But um, but at, at that time, I would do like two or three a day. It was almost like... Um, what, what is it called? It's not intermittent sleeping, but something along those lines. I don't know if you've studied any of that. I have not. But I, I, I was... just relied heavily on Adderall. You know, I've been doing it wrong, I guess. <laughs> I that That is something I didn't even know like existed or had had effects like that. I've, I've since learned a lot about uh, like a lot of these sort of... Um, I think they call them like C-level drugs or executive drugs. Mm -hmm. Just that like a lot of... Even like the Fortune 100 companies... If you're in that C level, the people are using things like nootropics. They're using yeah, Adderall. Crazy. I, I read uh, it was a couple months ago. Um, just uh, drug hacks, yeah, you know, for, for the entrepreneur, and it went down to all of those. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm I I 
I have since gotten a lot better at being balanced. Yeah. Uh, I, I try never to like rely on caffeine. Sometimes I do like last night. I was going to say, I saw you drinking a Red Bull last yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. No, last night I totally was because I was, I woke up with like a super sore throat and like was literally like, oh God, like I am going to sit at my desk and just do work that doesn't require talking to people. I'm canceling all my meetings. I'm going to save it all for the stage. And so, yeah. Chugged, and you did. You chugged, really, you brought chugged, it. Yeah, I had to, I like basically tried to compact all of my energy into 90 minutes on stage. Um, but then, like I said, uh, before we started recording, I literally went from the verge stage to my bed and like passed out for 10 hours. Nice. Um, just because I think sleep is so important. It's yeah, it's very, very important. And, uh, Matt 2.0 would not have said that. Uh, uh yeah. Uh, Josh 2.0 also wouldn't have said that sleep. That's for losers. Right. I'm, exactly. I'm in the business of doing business here. I was going to say, I'll jump in here for yeah, a second yeah. because. Yeah. It feels like, you know, you were talking about, you're 28. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh is, you know, what, 33? Yeah, just over 30. Like I'm 37 now. We've hit that point of when I was in my 20s, it was no sleep. No sleep, no sleep. I'd get maybe four hours sleep a night, be happy with that, maybe even less depending on what it was, go to all the events I could, just jam. I, mean, I was in radio, so I did everything I could. And as I kind of creeped into my 30s, I still don't like to sleep, but I do it a lot more and I do, you know, I make sure that I get at least enough that I know that I'm going to power myself through as opposed to falling asleep during meetings and stuff like that. And it seems like it, it kind of follows that line. Once you start creeping to your 30s, sleep becomes a thing. Well, you, uh, totally. you hit a certain spot in your life and you, you realize, at least I, I think you do, that, that it is important to sleep. You know, like yeah. the mistakes that are made when you're tired are big ones usually. And it's it's better to be rested up and save it for tomorrow. I actually had a, um, I had a boss at one point in time in my sign career where I was like, let's work all night. Let's get it done. And he's like, no, we're going to go home and sleep and tomorrow we're going to do it and not fuck it up. Right. So I'm like, I don't get it, but okay. <laughs> I guess, if, you know, I, th- I think probably to, uh, at least for me, uh, I don't know that I regret not sleeping in the, in the earlier days of kind of like forging sort of like my network. Uh, because one, the stakes weren't as high at the time, right? So yeah. like once you actually have a business that's worth something and and you're operating at a high level, yeah, like one small mistake can be a a, a big effect. Oh yeah, it can have a lot business. of zeros at the back of that mistake. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and at, at the same time, uh, having creative thought in business is so important and, and sleep is so important in that, at least for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think... Um, Alcohol helps with that too, you know? Yeah, it can. It can. It really does. Um, but kind of like you were saying, with um, just going to every event you could, like probably for two years straight, when I first moved to Indianapolis, maybe a year and a half, because a year and a half in, I went and worked for Slingshot, now relevance.com, mm-hmm. started their marketing department. But for a year and a half straight, I was literally like, every morning for coffee, I had a meeting. Every lunch, I was taking a meeting, sometimes two lunches. Uh, after work, I would meet someone for drinks. And then after drinks, I'd meet someone for dinner. Sometimes after dinner, I'd meet someone for after dinner drinks. And it was just like, I'm gonna meet with this person. I'm gonna meet with this You're person. You're wearing me. I'm, I'm talking meet. about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it was. But but for me, I I think the thing that fuels me the most is learning, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of why Verge is perfect for me now because I, I learn so much from everyone that's in that community. And I love sharing that learning with everyone else, which is like the multiplier, yeah. at least for me, like intrinsically. And so th- for me, the 
I think for Matt 3.0, uh, <laughs> go, going to what? Uh, what are the defining moments of these points? And we, so, so I think the defining moment for Matt 3.0 was getting uh, away from uh, you know make money, make money, make money, make money, uh, which Matt 1.0 was like Matt as a kid, or maybe that was like. Matt Beta was like the kid, <laughs> and, you know. Like, if, and if you're a kid, it's it's like the uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Was Matt Beta your DJ name? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Matt Beta. No, I'm not even gonna tell you what some of my DJ names were. Oh, come on, what's the DJ? I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, but there was uh, Hunk Master Flex might have been one of them. Um, there. Yes. There's the Jerry. There's the Jerry Seinfeld bit that he does uh, about Halloween, and he's basically like every kid when they're a kid. They have one goal, and that is to get candy. They just go around. They're like, get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy. And so that was definitely Matt Beta. Um, but I, I think Matt 1.0. This is so. This is so narcissistic. Talking about myself in the like fourth person. No, it's great. We're entrepreneurs. We're uh, the most narcissistic oh gosh, people on the planet. It's terrible. But I, so I, I think that the defining moment for this version of myself. Uh, as I'm founding Verge and realizing that that's my path is sort of around um, purpose and and making a difference. So like understanding that, and, and there's a link there too, right? Because uh, my purpose is to create as much value as I can while I'm on the planet, right? And I think most entrepreneurs eventually feel that way mm-hmm. about what they're doing. And so they find the, try to find the right vehicle um, to do that or the right tool, the right lever. And there's a link between creating value and earning money that at least for me is very ingrained. And and that is that eventually money follows the value. So if Mm -hmm. you can find the thing that you are uniquely good at, and I had a a mentor here in Indianapolis that really pointed this out to me is like, find the thing that you are uniquely good at and then find a way to be the best in the world at that thing and then build everything else around that. And so that's kind of what I'm in the process of doing with Verge. Uh, and I still feel like we're very much like in the infancy stage, even though I started it, you know, five years ago. Um, I, I've only been working on it full time for about a year, year and a half, maybe. Um, really, it's just only a year full time on Verge with no other it's side projects. Fifteen years is the is when you've then overnight success has made it is fifteen years. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's well, it's what I've I've read, what I've heard. Interesting. I've seen okay. It a couple times. So. Oh, I haven't heard that. What's? Do you know the source of that? I can go look it up. It's right now. It's just my brain that's had a beer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, right, cool. I, I want to look that up. I, I love stuff like that. Is fascinating to GoPro, me. GoPro, fifteen years. What's that? GoPro, GoPro was fifteen, 15 years. years. Really? Yeah. That's that's just crazy. That's not the yeah. That they weren't citing that, but right. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, stuff like that is, is really fascinating to me. And actually, that's kind of what gate like gave me the heart to start my first company. Was mm-hmm. sort of the uh, this was another rich dad poor dad. Um, as, as sort of like cheesy as that book is for business, have you read it? I have not read it. I so, read it. um, as cheesy as it is, like it's a, it's a parable and it, it's, it's well to- told and like easily digestible for someone that's not in business. Um, but the thing that, uh, stood out to me and it gave me sort of the, the fortitude to start a company was nine out of 10 businesses fail. So, um, and, and this was Robert Kiyosaki's own words. You know, if nine out of ten businesses fail, I'm totally willing to start ten businesses. So let's we we may we may as well start now. Yeah. Uh, and if it doesn't work out, that was one. Next one goes. If that doesn't work out, that's two. Right. And lucky for me, like first one kind of worked out in the sense that I got to Europe. Second one sold. Third one flop. Painful flop. 
Uh, you need a painful flop. A lot of time and money. Yeah. And Verge, you know, TBD. But like, even if everything had to, for some reason, bankrupt, um, which I don't think that there's anything out there right now that's a contingency that could do that. But uh, yeah, knock on wood. Um, it would still be worth the experience and what I learned in doing that. Well, the networking alone, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I am so passionate about this show, um, yep. you know, is that if if it doesn't work out, it's possibly one of the best networking opportunities I've ever had in my entire life. So, I mean, we get to sit down and have an intimate conversation about our personal backstory of how we're, we, you know, are pursuing our dreams and I get to talk about it, you know, with everybody like that. And you get to do it in the in a very similar manner mm-hmm. uh, and well a much bigger scale than the show but it's Not necessarily awesome. yeah it's it's pretty amazing I, I definitely love the time on stage even if i'm not feeling well uh like basically all that kind of goes out the window once you kind of get mm-hmm. the lights are on and the people are there you're feeding off of i mean it's not even your energy anymore it's just the energy of the people in the room and the person sitting next to you uh and, and so for me uh yeah i think i think we're similarly driven in the sense that um there's just so much out there and if you can find a way to kind of like sift through it and be uh almost a, a explorer like exploring for a story or an angle on a story that hasn't been told in the right way and uh, in, in the same sense almost a curator of things yeah. that you can uh, then build a tribe around that was also a really influential book for me was the book tribes by seth godin uh which Basically, I read and then started Verge immediately after that. Who was the author? Uh, Seth Godin, G-O-D-I-N. So uh, if you haven't read Seth's blog, which literally if you just Google Seth's blog, his will be the first first result. Uh, it's, it's one of the best blogs on the internet. And you can basically read any of his posts and they're still relevant today. But they're all... The thing I like about Seth is that he, he never wrote for SEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact... He doesn't even tweet. I don't think he even has an email list, <laughs> or at least he didn't when I was like really following him closely. And his posts sometimes would be like three sentences, but it was always like exactly what you needed to hear. Nice. Um, and, and so that's the thing I appreciated about him, and I still appreciate about him is that that sort of like if you can get it done in three sentences, do it in three sentences. It's a uh, so one of my um, I couldn't agree more, and one of my. Uh, I'd say it's a defining moment in my um, come up and in what I'm doing even now for um, is an English teacher uh, played. Have you seen a river runs through it? Yeah. And there's a writing scene where he is writing or rioting, <laughs> writing okay. as in writing on paper. Okay. Um, and it's Sunday and he's getting a writing lesson from his father and he brings it down to him and he says half as long. And then he gets, hands it back to him and says half as long. And then he brings it down and it's finally good and he wrinkles it up and throws it away and says he can go out and play. So um, just being able to say, being concise in what you say, I think about it every time I engineer something or mm-hmm. I, anything. It's can we do it, can we do it with less, can we make it more concise? So yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, I think that's one of the um, one of the hardest things to do, period, is one, you, you want to just get it out there. So there's, there's almost this like balancing act when creating something mm-hmm. where it's like, I just want to get it out there and like get everything that's in my head out. Uh, and, and so there's one barrier, one hurdle you've got to jump to do that. And then on the other end, it's like, but I, I only want to like put out my best stuff. And so 
for me and, and uh, what we're doing with Verge, there's, there's sort of this balance and the spectrum where it's hard to strike that balance. And uh, I used to get like really paralyzed around, well, we, we just need to get something out. But it's like, but if it's not great, don't put it out. <laughs> and then you get kind of like caught, a, up, in, a rock caught up in place. the cycle. Yeah. And it's sort of like, but the, the last one that we sent out was just so good. And if we can't do better, we shouldn't send anything. And so that, that whole process and like getting comfortable with your own voice, uh, getting comfortable with at least your skill set and what your real value is, um, it's still a process I'm, I'm figuring out. You know, right now I'm working on a book and um, it, it's, it's something that you literally just have to like slog through and kind of like throw yourself at a brick wall over and over yep. or a pallet wall. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it can be really any wall Yeah. Um, over and over until you kind of break through it. Yeah, no, I completely relate with that in many, many aspects of my life and business. Yeah, yeah I bet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, we are way off topic. I can't remember where we're on. We're, uh, were there topics? I think there were. We were talking about Seth uh, or Seth. <laughs> we were talking I, about Seth. I read this and went to say your name, Matt. How many times am I going to fuck up your name today? Um, Matt 3.0. What was Matt 3.0 doing? So, so I mean, that was the that was the piece around finding purpose, and and finding a way to create value. And so, in every meeting, um, every meeting, every conversation that I had, I was trying to think, all right, how can I make sure that this is not another pointless meeting? Because I had sat through plenty of those uh, in college, working in group projects and things like that, where you know you're basically like trying to make everyone feel like they're contributing to the group, but Clearly, that's it's college, so yeah. clearly not everyone's <laughs> contributing to the group. Uh, and then you like go home and actually do the project for everyone and like turn it in. Um, that that sort of thing. Um, I, I I wanted to avoid that like the plague with my career, and so uh, sort of like how to create value for this this person in this meeting. And then when Verge started, it was sort of like how do I create value for everyone that's here um, on a very like on, on a deep level, and so as Verge has scaled, I've had to think more about like, all right, as, as it's now gone from a few hundred people to thousands of people to close to the 10,000 mark, how do I provide as much value at scale? In your, in your mind, what is the biggest value proposition of Verge? Like I, me as an attendee, what, what, where, where should I be looking for the most value? Or what do you think is the highest value proposition for me there? Well, so, so that's, that's interesting because I think that um, you instantly went to the event because that's what you just experienced last night, mm -hmm. which um, is great because an event gives you um, an experience at a level that you just can't get through a blog post or an email or a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. um, but really, the way I'm thinking about Verge is really more as a media company that is driven largely by the events that we host and gives us a clear differentiator from other media companies out there. Um, Especially in that, like, we're not even distributing a lot of our own media. We're distributing that through, like, Forbes and Huffington Post and Up Global and some of the more, like, startup-oriented uh -huh. uh, web properties. Um, but going back to your original question of, like, what's that value proposition, I, I think that it's sort of like if, if, if I can find that, that one simple thing, that one simple idea, and it's going to be different for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I've got to explore all breadths and depths of business um, and business crosses over into life so that even crosses into breadth and depth of life <laughs> to find the things that are those sort of aha like 
for me, we've already talked about in this conversation, that concept of nine out of 10 businesses fail. So I got to be willing to start 10 to find that one that's going to succeed. Like that was an aha that I found in a piece of media, uh, a piece of content. And I could have heard that from Robert Kiyosaki on stage. I could have uh, listened to that on audiobook. I could have read it in printed format, or I could have had it told to me by someone on a deck, mm-hmm. right? But the, the fact is I, I probably heard it on an audio CD and um, that hit me at the right time and the right moment and it was the right thing I needed to hear and it's forever stuck with me. So long-winded way of saying create more experiences like that for more entrepreneurs or could be I love it. Entrepreneurs. I, I mean, I, there's, I had a great time last night. It was great. The networking was great. The people I met was great. Awesome, and man. My favorite part of it was the, the fireside chat. Uh, the pitches were a little rough only because of the people pitching it wasn't. the first one was was brutal it was it was brutal the second one a little better the third one was great he did a great job but you know what kudos to all three of yeah, them no, for absolutely. getting up there for getting up there and, and doing it and i think that i almost like when things don't go perfectly that's my favorite too because yeah. one i mean beyond the entertainment aspect of it um, which is why a lot of people watch American Idol um, <laughs> I, I was not Simon Cowell anyone just now I promise but but I also think that like an entrepreneur going up there and sharing and and not necessarily like winning the day with their pitch it's like all right this person's up there they're doing it well that's a great they experience kind of fell for down. them too everything was okay yeah no I mean because I have I mean I have given my share of pitches where I was like did I just did I just fucking do that to myself like yeah but I needed to experience we'll all that. have moments like that yeah I mean, I've done it three times during the show today. So, you know, <laughs> and no one noticed <laughs> and no one noticed. Yeah. So, no, it, it's fantastic. So what you're saying is that the value proposition is uh, is different for everyone. And I like how you've all you've really brought it all together in a place where I don't even know how to say what I'm trying to say. Like uh, there's a lot of different value propositions and that is the value proposition. Is that how you see it? Or am I it's just very meta? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think, I think the, the key is, yeah, there, there's a, a lot of value out there. Yeah. And, uh, and I guess I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, tr- I'm trying to find those little nuggets yeah. that you can, you know, and, and then on the other end of the spectrum, there's Seth Godin. That's like, I, I want to find that little thing and just deliver it to you like that. <laughs> not, not. I'm going to take this little thing and I'm going to put it into this 6,000 word article with four YouTube not videos. Not a needle in a haystack. And, and yeah, exactly. What I'm saying is, like, is you have a haystack with like a thousand needles in it and everybody can pick their own needle. Yeah, in, in a lot of ways. Like I, I, I'm, we're still definitely curating, I think, a, yeah. lot, of, a lot of haystacks. Uh, so, so we're going to beat this metaphor to death. We are, we're uh, just kicking it right I, in the I th- dick. I think, <laughs> exactly. So I think, um, we're, we're trying to find the needle and the, and all of the haystacks out there and then create these stacks of needles. <laughs> There's like a drug reference in there somewhere. We're trying to create these stacks of needles. Oh, that sounds like my hometown. That, oh no. Uh, we can talk about that if you need to. No, um, I do that enough with my therapist, but not ever, not, not, not everyone needs the same kind of needle. So yeah. I want I want to be the purveyor. I want to be the the guy selling <laughs> selling needles. I don't know. Yeah, we beat it to death. It's done. It jumped the shark like 30 seconds ago. 
<laughs> you know where the jump the shark reference comes from? I do. The happy days when they literally jump a shark. <laughs> Which I think would be awesome and I kind of want to do just to do it. So on that on that note, you um what's your end game? I mean obviously you want to do something cool, you want to retire, you want to buy a shark tank that you can jump. Is is that your end game? I, I want to do something cool. I always want to do something cool. Like, <laughs> that's that's sort of like wake up in the morning. What do I want to do? do? Something, something cool. cool. Yeah. Um, and luckily, I uh, like my livelihood is doing cool shit and you know finding a way to add value and extract value from that cool thing. Um, but uh, retire is is definitely not one of them. Like yeah, it's I don't not ever even like, plan on doing that. It's not like yeah. not a thought uh, that I've had. In fact, I, I mentioned I went to the Philippines last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually moved there for like two months and lived in Manila for a month uh, where I was still kind of like working and, and on the grid, like working on the, hey, can I remote work from the Philippines? And the answer is yes and no. Um, <laughs> but then the the second month, I was really trying to kind of be off the grid and almost like mini retirement, which was a concept I got from a book called The 4-Hour Workweek. Also, huge uh, influence. I think I'm familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. Tim, so Tim Ferriss uh, has written three books now. They're all four something something. So for our body, for our chef, and for our work week. Uh, for our work week, I got the the month that it came out um, in 2007, and actually how I built that uh, web design and internet marketing company was all based off of a lot of the concepts in that book. Everything from hiring virtual staff to giving yourself the title. Uh, director of business development, even if you're the owner of the company uh-huh. um, and, and several other things. I, I literally just like followed it to a T. So that was a really formative, uh, some, some concepts in there that were really formative for me. Um, but yeah, so, so for me, the thing that's driving me is, is a, it kind of goes back to that, like creating value. So like, I'm, I'm just like constantly trying to find a, find and build a bigger lever and, and learn the process through that. Which, you know, you, you think about like building something, you're like, all right, well, I need to like, just like add all of the stuff to it and do all the things because the more things I do, the bigger this thing will get. But one of the like ahas in the last two, three years for me is that like actually the less you do, the further you will, you will get mm-hmm. if you're doing it in the direction that you were sort of like meant to do it. Have you read Crossing the Chasm? You know what? I carried that around in the trunk of my car for like four years and I have not actually read it. It speaks to a lot of that. Focus yeah. on focus on your core competencies and they get better. Yeah. So so, so it's 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 very counter- counterintuitive business principle yeah. to actually do le- like less is more. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's super like trite and, and overused. But um, it takes discipline to say no to things. It takes a lot of discipline to say no to things. When I got, when I first got started, people were like, well, you could do this and we could do that. And I'm like, shit, yeah, we could do all that. Yeah. But on, all of a sudden we're doing all that. That's how you end up and, being involved with five things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not enough time is being focused on any one thing for it to go anywhere. So we peeled it all back, focused on one thing and it's doing great. Yeah. So. And hopefully you, you, you fit the vehicle that fits you. Yeah. I don't think any vehicle fits me, but hey, <laughs> You're not. How? What are you? Six, six one. I meant my my personality and. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say if you're six four, like. <laughs> no, you're, you're taller than me. Yeah. 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 You're you're dealing with a, a select group of vehicles that yeah. that fit you well, and I just refuse to get an SUV. <laughs> uh, I'm still driving the truck I had from high school. It's kind of a symbolic thing now. 
Nice. <laughs> yeah, just gets me from working back. I mean, if my car from high school still worked, I would totally still drive yeah. that thing. My um my engineer, like my he's just the most genius person I've ever met in my entire life. He's still driving the Honda Civic he got his freshman year in high school. It's just all rusted out and falling That's apart. That's awesome. It's pretty amazing. That's yeah, yeah, mad respect on that. Yeah, it's pretty neat. He's put a new engine in it. I'm not sure that it's a right choice at this point. Yeah, for a safety reason. You're replacing the engine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's kind of my that's kind of my thing. Is like it, it, as soon as I feel like the repairs are like <laughs> like are beyond the reward of like driving this thing that I don't have to like give a shit about. Uh, that's when I he like operates I, his heater with a coat hanger that's bent and hooked around something back in the dash, and you've got to pull on it. Well, that's got some it's charm to amazing. it. That's yeah. got some charm. Yeah, that's a unique experience. Oh, that's awesome. So, what's next for you? What are you doing next? Uh, so I mentioned I'm, I'm writing a book right now. Um, I'm working with a copy editor who's just been amazing at helping me kind of get through that, uh, put some deadlines out there. I was going to say, what is that like writing a book? Uh, it's, it's, it's like running through a pallet wall. Like (laughs) you just kind of like keep doing it to yourself. And, uh, can you give us some insight on the, the premise of the book? Yeah, absolutely. So the cool thing about having, um, a community like Verge is that there's an opportunity there to find the thing that most people in that group need, like need, mm-hmm. and go out and and find the information or the connections or the those aha moments that they need to hear or find, and put it in a way that is digestible and uh, accomplishable, because that's that's half of it, right? Half of it is finding the information, but the other half, probably mm-hmm. even the more important half, is like, how are you going to do this thing and see it through and get the results that you're looking for? What's going to happen when you don't initially get the results that you're looking for? What are you going to do if this thing that works for a lot of entrepreneurs doesn't work for you? Um, and so the, that one thing, after having a lot of conversations, both through our email list, uh, which is really engaging and we have a lot of fun with it, um, but also just through like these kind of conversations, uh, not necessarily on camera or recorded, uh, <laughs> but understanding what uh, is keeping entrepreneurs awake at night. We tried to find that that sort of like inflection point. In other words, like what's the biggest lever that would create the most value uh, for entrepreneurs? And for us, that thing is raising capital outside of Silicon Valley. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs that don't live in the Valley and are running a tech company think that they have to move to Silicon Valley in order to get the investors to invest in them. And it's understandable that they would think that because if you send an email to an investor in the Valley, there's a good chance they might email back and say, wow, sounds cool. Shoot me a note and let's grab coffee once you move out here. And that's just really disheartening for anyone that grows up here or is running a business here Uh because there's actually a lot of advantages to not being in that Valley. Uh, one is just being in a different mindset uh, that is much more focused on creating and extracting value in the form of revenue or profit. Uh, two is access to talent. Sure, like the de- the best developers in the world, a lot of them are based out in Silicon Valley, uh, but they're probably working for quarter million, half a million dollars for Google or Facebook. Uh-huh. Um, and your chances of getting them to go and work on your startup idea very, very, they, they just don't exist. Yeah, slim to none. They don't exist. Um, it's just none. There's no chance. Um, and, and so you can actually find better talent to work on startup projects out here because there's not as many people that are pursuing them. Um, 
but the problem is the access to capital. So the book that I'm writing is how to nail the pitch, which you know I have uh, I've got my 10,000 hours in coaching entrepreneurs. For oh, the let's talk stage. about pitching. I love pitching. I haven't done it in so it's, long. It's, it's one of my favorite things in the whole wide world. Really, I love it. Why do you like it? I just I love it. I, I love to write it. I love to write a pitch. I love to give a pitch. I love everything about it. Do you um, remember your first pitch? Uh, I do remember my first pitch. Uh, it's not well, my most set, memorable set the stage, pitch. Set the stage for us. Well, my first pitch was not to anyone. It was to my COO. In All right, what's the most memorable one then? The most memorable pitch would be the pitch that I gave to Anheuser-Busch. Oh, wow. About our product. Um, so we <laughs> we go to... Um, we're, so we're in Las Vegas. We'd ran into a guy. It was, it's got a backstory. It has to have backstory. Ran into a guy that was in charge of... Uh, casinos for ab mm-hmm. met him by chance just we're on the road um and we're doing a demo for the mgm grand he comes in the building he's like heard this was going on just wanted to check it out and just proceeds to tear me apart like everything every aspect of it and um i am you know just i'm i'm battling back battling back and by the end of it we end up with tickets to the acdc show that we were outside of selling beer and he had taken a cup and sent a video to corporate. And the next day, the head of draft beer for Anheuser Bush gives my COO a call and says, uh, "Hey, we'd love to talk further about this. We don't we don't buy equipment. We're not involved in the equipment side of anything, but we'd like to know what our beer is being put through. So, you know, maybe come out in the next couple of months and we could have a meeting." Mm-hmm. He calls back the next day and says, "Hey, um, how about we come out? How about you come out in two weeks? You know, there's a little bit of interest, a little bit of buzz building around your product here. And he calls back the next day and says, Hey, can you be here next week? Um, and we're like, yeah, fuck yeah, we can. Yeah. So we literally pulled the dispenser off the demo unit, which is a whole nother long story. Um, but pull it off, throw it in a suitcase and fly to St. Louis. Um, it is the, it's the next day. And the head of Anheuser-Busch, uh, or draft beer for Anheuser-Busch, he, is insistent that this is your Super Bowl. Like, do not fuck this up. Yeah, you do not mess it up. Like, this is your one chance. It's, it's just Which don't mess it up. Which little did he know that's like the worst thing you could tell someone. <laughs> right, exactly. Don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. So, yeah. um, Mike sets most things up for me. I'm the one that pitches. And uh, so, <clears throat> I had, um, as you know, uh, as a as a uh, well versed pitcher, you have your presentation in every form you could possibly imagine just in case something goes wrong you have a backup so we have it in paper form we have it on a stick we have it in any form you could imagine um i probably also could have acted it out uh like a mime but he goes to we get a sample of that what the The mime mime version (laughs) no um so he goes to fedex kinkos to print the decks and the power goes out Mm -hmm. at the fedex kinkos in the morning i'm like he calls me. He's like, power's out. None of the printers are working. Everything's down here. Um, they get it all back online. He finally gets them printed. So now we're at 10 minutes late. He's like, oh, oh no. I, I added a couple pages to the back. I'm like, you what? You added pages to the back of the pitch that I have memorized? Like, you can't do that, man. Like, I don't, what am I supposed to do with this? So um, he gets back to the hotel room. Uh, he, <laughs> he asked me to iron his pants. I didn't know how to iron pants at the time. So like, it's, it was a total shit show. And uh, so he's ironing his pants while I'm ripping all the pages that he added back out of the presentations. We get to the garage. He f- was in such a hurry, he forgot where he parked the car. I thought you were going to say he forgot his pants. No, he didn't forget his bad. pants. He, he had his pants on, fortunately. And uh, he, 
we get to the garage. We finally find the car. We get in the car and we get to the gate. He had lost the card to get out of the gate. So we're yelling at this lady on the other end of the, or he is yelling at this lady on the other end of the speaker box who had such a thick uh, black accent that they couldn't understand each other. So she just hangs up on him. And I'm like, I'm about ready to tell him to just run through the gate because we're yeah. like 20 minutes late to this meeting oh, by now. No. And uh, he sits back in frustration. Turns out the thing takes a $20 bill for lost tickets. I just happen to have $20 on me. I mean, that's a miracle in yeah. itself, uh, you know, being in the startup phase. And we get out of the thing, we show up, and we're late, really, really late. And looking back on it, the I mean, that meeting had to have cost Anheuser-Busch $100,000 oh, yeah. to fly the people that were there that I know now were there in the salaries for the people to be there. Like, it was a big meeting. And we show up super late the air in the room is thick i mean they are fucking pissed that we're late and i mean they probably thought we were out drinking all night you know a couple of dumb kids screwing this up right um i open up the suitcase i throw a bottoms up beer dispenser on the cooler i hook it up and it's working and the air in the room instantly changed and that was they they had scheduled 45 minutes for setup we set it up in in like 10 nice. so we were still within the time frame oh, even good. though we were so late Gave the pitch. Um, it went very, very well, and uh, I guess the rest is history, which is a whole nother story. But yeah, um, yeah, that's my most memorable pitch. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so I'm curious uh, when you're outside the the ACDC concert. Yeah. Uh, what was it that that changed him from the grilling you phase to the uh, hey, here's some tickets and come on in. My pitch. Which which was <laughs> well, it's uh he was what, just what do you think it was about the pitch? Well, you can't argue with the dispenser, right? So really, I didn't do it's anything. A demo. Yeah, I mean, you're, he's watching beers fill up, yep. and he's like, he's saying, well, it doesn't have enough head on it. And I'm explaining that the edge of the magnet has a nucleation site, which causes CO2 release, which is the same as having head on a beer. Only it's better because it does it over the course of the beer, not all at the beginning. So every everything he had an argument handling for objections like yeah, a boss ha- yep, handling objections like a boss and he's watching this line just evaporate like the you know the bartender sitting down four beers are all filling up at once he's doing the cash while they fill themselves so i didn't really do a lot other than answer his questions um yeah no it was it was fantastic so, that's awesome yeah so i i think that um those pivotal moments like that it's best for entrepreneurs to be prepared yeah. for it and uh and so the book that uh, that we've spent a lot of time creating and are still just uh, iterating upon iteration upon iteration. What iteration are you on? Uh, so one of my when most, can I get a copy? Of this one book? of my one. Okay, so when you can get a copy is going to be this fall. Um, we should be done done with the book by the end of September, which means design, print, uh, distribution to e-publishing platforms should be done by end of October. Awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, actually. Uh, I also read as many books on business as I can. I don't read for pleasure, but I guess that is What's pleasure. been the most uh, influential for you? The most influential to... It uh, doesn't have to be a business book, either. It, like I said, I only read business books. Okay. Um, the most influential book to me has been How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, I read it. It's the, the title is fucking terrible. But I read it because I was watching a documentary on Warren Buffett. Yep. And he said, I owe all of my success to the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People and the Teachings of Dale Carnegie. And I said, I am writing that down right now. And I'm going to read that book. I don't care that the title sounds dumb. But, um, and then the next most 
the next most bestest book that I've read is uh, Crossing. They should have that new category. Yeah, in the me- next most Times. bestest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> next most bestest <laughs> would be uh, Crossing the Chasm. So, oh, yeah, it really uh, the the premise of Crossing the Chasm is uh, I use DVDs as an example of what Crossing the Chasm is. Um, and were you one of the people that went out and bought a five thousand dollar DVD player and sought out hard to find DVDs, or were you one of the people that said, "Eh, we're going to wait and see how this whole DVD thing works out." And I'm going to wait for the price of the equipment to drop. So that's the chasm. It's that pause period between the visionary buyer and the pragmatic buyer. Hmm. So Interesting. Now you don't need to read the book. I just told you what it's about. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, basically, the, the the cover that I remember anyway actually has that diagram on it yep. of the chasm. Uh-huh. I was like, I think I get it. Like, I don't know that I need to read the <laughs> I book. I think I get it. I no. think I get it based on this. Picture's worth, you know, See, I didn't 30,000 words. I, uh, so at Grinon, um, we saw sales start to pick up, and I'm like, awesome. I'm going to hire more salespeople. I'm going to just really, we had production pretty figured out. I'm going to hire salespeople, going to hire salespeople, going to hire salespeople. And uh, sales flattened out the chasm. So I read Crossing the Chasm after watching, uh, is it Simon Sinek? Yep. Um, I'm reading his book. Start with Why. Start with Why right now. And uh, he did a great presentation on why people, they don't buy uh, what you do, they buy why you do it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, picked it up from there. So TED Talks are great too. Yeah, that that's one of my favorite, probably one of my most forwarded TED, TED Talks. Is it? Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, and it's Start absolutely true. Start great. Yeah. That's funny you mentioned... Um, Dale Carnegie, you know, kind of in between some of the ventures that I was doing in Verge, um, I, you know, I, I actually kind of, I was talking about this with someone last night, actually a group of three or four entrepreneurs last night at Verge, um, and just sort of, um, almost like running away from Verge as like the thing that I'm going to do just because I'm surrounded by so many people who are, uh, you know, raising tens of millions of dollars or selling for hundreds of millions of dollars and going the pure software play. And, um, so I, so I had a chance to jump on some, some cool software and marketing, um, high growth companies along the way, um, which, you know, led to burnout at different phases. Uh-huh. Um, and, another beer. uh, I'm good for now. I'm good. I'm going to, I'm going to take it easy because I, <laughs> I do have to drive after this. So responsible. Um, uh, and Uber, I don't think my girlfriend would appreciate, uh, having to drive me back here after Ubering home. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I, th- I think that, um, I think that one of the things that you said about the books that were most influential to you, uh, one of the courses that I took was, that was most influential was the Dale Carnegie course. Oh, you've taken the course. I've I, wanted I, to do that. I did take the course. And actually, my dad was an instructor in the 80s oh, nice. for Dale Carnegie. And um, I have three copies of How to Win, for, Win Friends and Influence People uh, on one of my bookshelves at home. And one is my grandfather's copy with his notes in it. The pages are all like yellow because before pages were treated. And it's like got that That's like incredible. old school like cover on the front that like you have to like read like the gold embossed like Dale Carnegie signature on it. And then like one is my dad's copy that's like clearly from like the 70s or 80s um, that has his like highlights and notes in it. And then like there's my copy, which hasn't been open because I listened to it on Audible. Um, <laughs> but but it's it's cool that it's cool to have that. That's really that, neat. That one particular yeah. book. I haven't been able to keep a copy because I keep giving it to people. Yeah. So I, I don't know what copy I'm on. I'm probably a hundred. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, and I, I, I probably should give the copy more. The, the thing that I've been doing uh, when like giving a book recently is just like ordering a copy on Amazon because mm-hmm. 
when I when I read a book, like read, read a book, not audible read, but like read, read a book, I, I just mark the shit out of it. And like I'll make notes and follow ups and and for me, if I'm like read reading, like I play this game. Uh <laughs> that's uh probably uh harkens back to my intense days of of starting up. But like I I think that um the game that I play is there's so many different things you can learn from a book and they might not even be like directly in the pages and in the, the paragraphs of that book. It might even like be something that reminds you of something else and it like it just creates this link. Yeah. It's the between um, the line stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um and so if, if if something prompts me to write it down or mark it up or highlight it, meaning that like there's an actionable nugget in there, I will put that book down and stop reading it until I implement at least one thing that is that. And it might it might just be setting up a meeting, right? Like it might just be like, oh, you know, Keith Frazzi says that you should have dinner parties at your home with people so that you know, people in your network can, you know, cross industries can meet each other and have a good experience. All right, well, I'm not going to read the next chapter until I send an email out to 15 people and say, hey, I've got five spots for a dinner. Do any of you 15 people, you know, want to come and then set it up and, and go do it? You are so much more ambitious than I am. <laughs> I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's ambitious. I think it's like, um, I'm like, I thought I'm a workaholic. Holy shit. It, it's funny because it's it's not work, right? Like to, if if you make it a game. You're right, it's not work. If you make it a game, yeah. it's not work. And and I I'm totally not a gamer, right? Like I never had like the leading system. I could never afford it when I was a kid, right? Like I always had the hand me down. Super Nintendo comes out, cousin gives me his Nintendo system. Uh N sixty four comes out, cousin gives me his Super Nintendo system. Mm-hmm. So I always had like, you know, whatever was five to seven years previous. So I never really got into it. Um, I was also just like an outdoors kid. Like I was always building forts and like being uh, nerdy and going to magic club. So I, <laughs> so I just recently started, uh, playing games, uh, for two reasons. One, I went to a bachelor party in Tahoe with my high school friends I was talking about earlier. And, uh, part of this Tahoe house was that it had an arcade, but it was like Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, the original Rampage, um, and like a pool table and then like some other weird crazy game that was like from N64 era, but like off brand. Um, but Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man, that's what like really got the people playing and like competing with one another. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then an email comes in my inbox the other day after literally the day that I finished a podcast from Tim Ferriss, the guy who wrote the four hour work week, who I've been following ever since, you know, via social and Twitter and he yeah, now has an awesome podcast. Um, and he interviewed someone that does neuro um, neuroscience research around games, video games. And the thing that they found was that video games actually have a lot of benefit and can be like introduced into your life um, in times of, uh, you know, a, a lot of times like if it's um, a traumatic event, a video game, playing a video game is like one of the best things you can do. Um, Obviously, the alternative is you could do a lot of other terrible stuff, right? Like yeah. you, could, you could drink like in excess, like in super excess. You could do drugs. You could, um, you know, there's all kinds of vices you could lean on for that. Um, but I, I got an email the same day I listened to that podcast that the new Pac-Man 256 came out for uh, iOS, which is like Pac-Man on 
steroids right like it's like or pac-man maybe on acid um <laughs> like it, it's crazy like the board disappears and you've got to like keep going forward no matter what or things go crazy but i've been playing that like crazy the last two weeks um and when i say like crazy i mean like maybe 20 minutes a day but to me that's crazy that's a lot because yeah. like maybe i've played like as much video games in the last two weeks as i've played in like the rest of my life um so the, the in in the aspect of like treating it like a game i'm like notice i am noticing effects and clearly this is a you know a sample size of one and not any sort of scientific research but <laughs> which is how i make most of my decisions but i'm so. ga- i'm gamifying everything else in business to where it's like all right cool i have an inbox with 120 emails i have 20 minutes let's go like what can i get done that's actually i mean i've heard of this strategy before or a way of thinking about things yeah, yeah. to make it easier to do them and more fun to do them um, and i can't remember the first I want to say it was like a Saved by the Bell episode where I saw it first, where one of the characters had to, my lick, language. had to lick envelopes, and they're like, "Make a game out of it," you know? No, it was I think it was The Simpsons, maybe I don't remember, but it was a, it was something that sounds like Simpsons. Yeah, like see how many it was The Simpsons. Bart yeah. had to lick envelopes. Yeah, and the, I think I remember that. The principal's like, "Let's make a game out of it." So, yeah, that's where I learned about that. I, it's way back it's in so the day. true though. Like, yeah. it, and, and so like going back to your your ambitious comment, I, I yeah. think that. Um, Sure, like you can definitely view it in that lens, but if if yeah, it's about if you're treating like a game, right? then like I'm actually really indulgent. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly, like, I'm like, I'm a total fuck off, yeah, like yeah, really, yeah, totally. but I'm getting stuff done. Yeah, no, I completely agree because I I view I view grin on and what I do as a as a big game, and it it sounds silly to say it like that. It almost sounds uh, scary to say it like that to somebody who might be listening. Like I view this as a game. Mm-hmm. It's a game I take very seriously that I'm trying to win. So it's it's not you know. I'm not joking around. Absolutely, no. Well, yeah. and like even on that on that note, one of the books I've read is the Great Game of Business. Oh, by, by Jack, Jack Stack. Stack. Yeah, great, great book. Yeah, great book. Yeah, uh, which is cool because it like puts everything on a scoreboard, and like I, I just notice when I when I check analytics as a as a more methodical, mm-hmm. um, and I'm talking about right now I'm talking about web analytics, but you can talk about you know financial analytics, you can talk about uh, team analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's all kinds of aspects you can look at, but when you start putting a score to things, uh, mo- I think most entrepreneurs are like, you know, they want to see up and to the right, and a, and a, yeah, but and a positive score too. That's, I, I thought that was great about that book. When you scored people negatively, it had yeah. a negative impact. Oh yeah, yeah. So anyway, no, the, carry on. Uh, that yeah. I mean, that book has a ton of nuggets in it. Tons, tons, about, tons. You know, the the right kind of reward systems. Yeah, I love right. that you've read it and apply it to what you do because it's it's about manufacturing. Yeah, is what it's about. So, is it really? I, I mean, it's been a it's been years since I've read it. But. Yeah, it's about refurbishing diesel engines, I believe. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> it's well, that's one of the companies. Anyway. Nice. So um, yeah, I, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I remember that uh, case study. Yeah. That's a good book, and actually, I so I was inspired by a company here in Indianapolis that um, that actually got me to start that first company in uh, Bloomington, the SureSight Design web design business. I came up here for some. Uh, I was in some club, probably like young entrepreneurs club at IU, and it was like, hey, we're gonna go tour this company called CIK, which stood for Cash is King. They run everything jack stack by the book, great game of business. Uh, they literally had like their numbers up on the wall in the office, uh, their key metrics, their key achievements. Um, and you can still go in there today. Actually, they're now a sponsor of Verge. That company's called Perk, P-E-R-Q. Awesome, awesome company. It's had many different iterations of it. Uh, and Scott Hill, that entrepreneur who originally inspired me, 
because, well, for one, he was under 30 and like was one of the first under 30 entrepreneurs I'd met in person uh-huh. and like was just killing it. Like I, I think they were doing like 60 some million in revenue, They're like number one place in Indiana to work at the time. Um, and I think they've had that award a couple times since then. Um, but like the cool thing is like through Verge, through this network and through staying connected with him, like he's, he's become one of my closer friends, mentors. Uh, and we were actually just paddle boarding on Monday, uh, out on, um, Eagle Creek. You were uh, wedding? Paddle boarding? Stand oh, up paddle boarding? I thought you said pallet boarding. No. 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 I don't know what that would Pallets be. Pallets on the brain. Pallet boarding. Yeah. 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 You could you could do pallet boarding. That'd be like the that'd be like the redneck Indiana version of pallet boarding. <laughs> pallet boarding. Yeah, I could see that. You could start it, man. You could start it. It could be huge in Kentucky. It could be huge in yeah. Kentucky. Yeah, in West Virginia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Have you seen the wonderful world of whites? No. I think that's what it is. What is it? Or the crazy it's it's just never mind. It's it's in West Virginia. It follows this family that's uh so drug addicted they can barely stand it it's just incredible it's produced by uh, dick house productions it's a documentary yeah it's really incredible the wild wild world of whites or something like that i don't know all right i might, we'll have, to, back I might have to check it's, that out it's really good it's like okay i'm doing okay in life you know i'm doing good <laughs> yeah so I, I can watch that stuff in like small doses yeah but like i tried to binge watch breaking bad one time and i just i i never actually finished that series because i just got such a, like a negative so I, I am really a pro everyone's a product of their environment. Right. But I am like so much so a product of my environment to the fact that like, to the point that like pretty much I don't spend time with anyone that like, I don't want to spend time with. Right. Like, I, I, I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if I, if I don't feel like that person, if I can't add something to that person's life and, or vice versa, I like, I'm just not right. I, I'm just not about that. I get it completely. Agree. So when you spend a day with Walter White, uh, and Breaking Bad, like, I just had to like cut it off. And I'm like very careful. Ever since then, I'm like very careful about like going too far into I can like, see Desperate Housewives, but <laughs> what? But why? Breaking Bad. He's a like, businessman. Just everything was getting worse and worse He's and right behind worse. you, in fact. He's such a businessman. All right, that was terrifying <laughs> because for a second there, I was just like, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even want to look, but I, I remember seeing the photo. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's pretty so great. So Breaking Bad reminds me of home. I, 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 I love every I'm bit sorry, of it. sorry, man. It's one of the, yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of the best TV shows I've ever seen in my life. It's well, I, I mean, I know it's like consistently rated the best and I'm going to have yeah. to finish it at some point, <laughs> but it's going to have to be like at some p- point in my life when I'm just like on a, such a high that it's going to be like, un- <laughs> I can afford to come down a few notches. Yeah. I, I think my problem was I was binge watching it. Like that's just too much dark. I watched it as it came out. So I could, yeah. I could see that it is really dark and it's really fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, I also love the wire and I, I did that more in like a, I haven't uh, seen that. Oh, all right. So if people say Breaking Bad is the best show on television, they're wrong. It's actually The Wire. Okay. Uh, the Wire is 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 by far. Have you seen The Wire? Yeah. Right. It's a it's also an HBO series. Well, it's an HBO series that kind of along the lines of Sopranos kind of kicked off everything that we've got now with all the cable companies. So it, yep. it's widely considered one of the best. I will check it out. Amazing writers. I need something new to binge watch. The, just the thing that's cool. Rewatch to, Entourage. To watch, yeah. Exactly. Loosely based on I've my done, life. I've done that several times. Yeah. yeah likewise. <laughs> uh, never got any royalties for that. Um, so I, 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 the thing I like about the wire and I think you'll enjoy, uh, as an entrepreneur is that 
you each season focuses on a different aspect of society. So like one is like the education system. Uh, it, it all has to do with the drug trade that's kind of like interwoven through everything. But like one is specific on the education system. One is specific on like import export uh, side of, of Baltimore is where this is based. Uh, one is like politics. But then you, you start to see that they're actually all interconnected and all really important. Uh-huh. And like, I, I think, you know, you got to be careful. Like, you got to be careful with watching television and seeing like if you can take life lessons from it. But uh, oh, I take life lessons. I mean, I actually I totally. learn all kinds of stuff from television that I apply. I mean, I mean clearly, I've gotten some gate. Walter White. I, I've gotten some great <laughs> business ideas from Game of Thrones. None of which I can remember right now. But I remember thinking, oh yeah, totally gonna do that. Yeah. You know? Valerian steel. That's what I need. Dragon Airport. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so that I, I think if you watch that, you'll you'll start to see that you know all of those things are interwoven, and you you kind of got to be up on that. It was kind of a wake up call for me because I'm still kind of like this. I'm still kind of like politics. Like, don't tell me about it until I can influence it. Until I have like fuck you money. The, oh, I love fuck you money. I, I would love some fuck you money, but <laughs> I, I don't have fuck you money. Um, and. and and I have some serious fucking money from, plans. Uh, from what yeah. I understand, basically, and from what I've experienced, uh, most influence in politics, you got to have that behind you to make yeah. it happen. So it, it's something that has repelled me in the past, but I've been more intrigued the more, uh, you know, I, I saw things like The Wire and watched, um, what's the one with Spacey in it? Kevin Spacey. House of Cards. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's, man. That's, that's so good. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> also super dark. Yeah, super dark. Season three, I was a little sad. I, I was really hoping that he was... Uh, 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 I haven't watched it. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I was... T- never mind. I won't say any more. Sorry, yeah. I, just kill- I just killed the, poly- <laughs> the podcast. It. I just killed the podcast. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm so far back on so many things. Like I'm not even... I mean, oh. like I said, I haven't even seen Silicon Valley and that's like my world. Oh man, it's so good. I'm just, I'm sitting there watching it. It just grinning ear to ear. I'm like, this thing, this is amazing. Like I, I remember this time in my life. Well, once, once, um, once winter was over, I just canceled Netflix. I was just like, nope. Like I, I don't want a reason to not be outside. And if I'm staying in, I should be like reading or playing <laughs> basketball or, you know, something that's something that's like very admirable, productive. Yeah. Um, of course I still use my girlfriend's Netflix all the time. Uh, but it was, it was the principle of it. Last Sunday I declared a do nothing Sunday and I did nothing. I actually have a do nothing Sunday scheduled for this Sunday. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean nothing like I, my accomplishment for the day was I put on sweatpants. Like that was, it was a big big. deal. That's big. I'm not even planning that much. I like, it's like a no pants Sunday. You gotta have, I'm not going out. I'm going to have Bagel Deli catered to my house, yep. even though it's two blocks away. <laughs> it's going to be great. That's fantastic. So one thing you've talked about a couple of times uh, while we've been bullshitting here is raising money. So the other day I made a comment to my COO as we are thinking about heading into another round of fundraising. And I just in passing made the comment, I have no idea how to raise money. And that is because... I have no idea how to raise money. And he, he he's like, you raised three and a half million dollars. What do you mean you don't know how to raise money? I mean, I don't know how to raise money because I didn't do it conventionally. So mm-hmm. when we got started, it was, um, it was we, we tried to go down the conventional route. We, Which is? Well, the angel route, um, angel and venture capital, right? We started with the three Fs, friends, family, and fools. Yep. Then we sought out angel investment, and then we were, you know, well, never made the step to venture capital. But so 
the reason this took place is because uh, Grinon was founded in the same year the bottom fell out of the housing market and banks had pulled back all of their financing mm-hmm. that was anywhere, anywhere near high risk. So um, the angel community was seeing all these people come back that had lost bank financing that were veterans of startups and veterans of what they had done. And myself and Mike were two dumb asshole kids working out of a garage saying they had a company worth $46 million. We weren't making it very far in the angel community, right? So we had to um, work very hard to find people that believed in the same things we believed in and we hustled and got money from basically anywhere we could find it. Uh, we never had a series A, we never had a series B, we never we never did that. We didn't, yeah. and it was very different than traditional means. So why don't you talk about raising money? How, how do you go about it? How do you, how does Matt raise money? So the we've kind of boiled everything into a specific process. And one of the things I like about what you said is that it's uh, the unconventional route. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's actually really important, right? So being unconventional is actually one of the best things you can do as an entrepreneur. Because if you're trying to do what everyone else is doing, that's a hell of a lot of competition. Right. So you got to find a way to be unconventional in some way or another. You did it in one aspect of how you went and raised money. Um, but another entrepreneur might do it in a different aspect or in a different route. Uh, in whatever way you go about raising money, being unconventional is, is really, really important uh, because we're wired to recognize patterns and categorize based on those patterns. And so you've got to stand out in one way or another. Uh, but the the process that we've put together, we actually boil down into an acronym that makes it like really handy uh, when you're preparing for a pitch and preparing to raise capital. Uh-huh. Um, and that acronym is thread so uh like needle needle and the thread. needles again really yes yeah. it, it all comes back to needles um <laughs> I, I don't know why that, that has happened it's just like the recurring theme it's the thread throughout our entire conversation product placement zing so thread stands for target which means you have to have a target and a vision of of the outcome and the target of who you're pitching to who do you want to have as an investor hook so you've got to have that one thing that's going to hook attention and gain that next 20 minutes because basically you want to get your pitch done in a 20 minutes or less segment. Mm-hmm. And actually, pro tip here, you actually are probably only buying more like five minutes. So a good presenter or a good pitch is going to have several hooks throughout the presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to like have this conversation here and tell you that at the end of telling you about the thread acronym, I'm going to tell you about that one behavior that an entrepreneur can do with the thread method that's going to 10x the results, that's a hook, right? So then rapport is R. So we have THR is rapport. So rapport is, uh, there are a lot of ways to build rapport. You you know, we're building rapport here just Uh by having this conversation. Uh, But one way of doing that is being vulnerable, right? So um, this is uh, is not necessarily been... um, uh, arch- this conversation hasn't necessarily been architected because I'm not trying to raise money from you, but you know, me sharing that I was in magic club is something that makes you, know, you vulnerable, makes me vulnerable. Yeah. Right. Um, so rapport is one piece and being vulnerable is probably the most important thing. It is by far and away, but the most important thing. And this is probably the most complex point in thread method because there's so many things that build and detract rapport. Mm-hmm. And most people are not aware of them. Even the people that consider themselves people, uh, people, people. Um, <laughs> it's like I'm. I consider myself a person, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But, but the people that <laughs> consider themselves a people person yeah. um, are, uh, if they are, if they're not using a process 
they're not going to be um, sort of viewed as unconventional or differentiated from everyone else. Uh, most entrepreneurs are charismatic and can carry on a conversation and can sell a $2,000 vacuum cleaner if they need uh -huh. to. Um, so, so rapport is one of the most important aspects of that. Escalation is E. So escalation is the piece where you are starting to stack these different pieces about your business. So it's almost like the hook, but like it's the delivery of the hook. It's like the hook coming back uh -huh. and, and saying, you know, we just sold 10,000 of these. Uh, we just sold 10,000 of these units into the top 5% of bars across the nation. And what they've experienced is, you know, XYZ results. And I went and had a conversation with, um, who's Anheuser-Busch's biggest competitor? Um, Saab Miller. With Saab Miller. And uh, they're very interested in this, but I would really love to be uh, committed to you guys at Anheuser-Busch. Uh, XYZ. You know, so this is the escalation piece, right? Uh -huh. So you're getting to the apex um, yep. or the ask, which is what A stands for. So that's that's like literally like the point where you're, like, so we're looking for investment of $3.5 million that's going to add a XYZ valuation that's going to get us to the point where we're manufacturing these at scale. And what that's going to do is going to give us a 10x return on money in that first round, but also you're committed to all future rounds because we're going to be raising another round in the future because this is not a $100 million company. This is a $2 billion company. Right, so so you're selling the vision and and getting to the apex moment, the ask. And most entrepreneurs think that you're done there with the ask, and that's true in some ways. Uh, when you do the ask, the 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 number one thing that entrepreneurs do that shoot themselves in the foot is what? I, I don't know. But <laughs> so so here, dumb I, joke I, about Adderall. Or, or so listen, I've I, I had our lawyer put this contract together. Yeah. And uh, why don't you go ahead and, and, and sign? It has all the things that you asked for. Why don't you go ahead and sign? No, I'm going to have my attorneys read it first. Right. So, <laughs> so, so you can go and back and forth and, and, and deliberate. Yeah. But the number one thing that an entrepreneur would do is, is not shut up in that moment. So it, the moment there's silence, yeah. any, any good VC on the other side of the table, they're going to be dead silent and wait for you to... But but you know it, but also we really like you guys. So if there's... And the moment... There's weakness there. The moment you show like your true colors, and and anyone that's good at negotiations knows to do this is to not reply immediately. Even if you love the terms, right? This is negotiations 101. Even if you love the terms, you need to push back. And and even if they don't budge, you say, ah, well, you know, I guess I guess I'll go ahead and do it, right? Because the other person, you need to give them the satisfaction of knowing that they made a good deal. Right, uh -huh. so you, you always want to have that um, on both sides of a negotiation. So the ask number one tip there is be specific with an ask. So that's probably the number two mistake that entrepreneurs make is how much money are you raising, at what valuation, and for what purpose, and hopefully for what purpose you've covered already in the yeah. escalation piece. Uh, and then, but most people think it's done there, and I, I think a real professional and something that really sets people apart and makes them unconventional is the D, which is drop anchor. So drop anchor, um, it comes, the, the term anchor actually comes from an entire um, field of psychology called neuro-linguistic programming or NLP. Uh -huh. Have you heard of this? No. Nope. So um, NLP is, it's actually something that my dad does now as a practice. Um, it's, it's very powerful. It's almost like technology, but technology for the mind. Um, and an anchor is something that um, 
that is, is rooted to something specific, a feeling, an experience. Um, a lot of anchors are created unintentionally, right? So uh, beer obviously has physiological effects. Uh, coffee has physiological effects. Um, but coffee's physiological effects don't actually have effects for like 20 minutes. But people are like, I got to have my morning coffee. Got to have my morning coffee. And the moment they have that in their hands, that warmth and like that smell, mm -hmm. they're awake. That is an anchor uh, because nothing has happened. Like even if they've taken a sip, it's going to be 20 minutes before that caffeine starts kicking in. But they're awake. That's a, that's a, a physical and psychological anchor. So if you can create something the same, and I think the best anchors are physical, uh, but you can also do a digital anchor, uh, doing a leave behind, something that, I, I like something that can like fit in someone's pocket and and um, be discovered when the person's like emptying their pockets later in the day. Again, being unconventional, being something that is going to replay that entire experience, that entire twenty minutes, and, and kind of pull at that again. Hopefully, you've already made the the sale or made the deal. Yeah. By then, but, hopefully, your pitch was good, so they're remembering something good. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but. Even if not, being remembered is better than not. Yeah, no, I um, agree. Dale Earnhardt. Some of some of the some of the best ones uh, that I've seen. What I was working with an entrepreneur with a company here in Indianapolis that's won a bunch of awards. They have an amazing technology that is around. Um, it, it enables uh, a lot of the different trends that are going on right now with like uh, smart homes, things like uh, Internet of Things. And um, when I was talking to him. Uh, about his pitch and kind of shaping it up and mm -hmm. getting all these different aspects into his pitch before he raised around. He closed the round, by the way. Um, nice. He, uh, I said, so like, just like, how big is this? Is this chip that like everything comes out of? Like, just how big is? You know, I'm like, I'm thinking it's like a a board or something like that. He's like, oh, here, I have one in my pocket, and he pulls it out and throws it on the table, and I'm like, like that's it. Like you need to, how much are these? And he's like, you know, before we, you know, we sell them for, you know, whatever, tens of thousands of dollars, but like the equipment itself, it's, you know, less than $3 to, to manufacture. I'm like, that's your, that's your leave behind. You sell them for tens of, what is this? <laughs> so, so, I mean, why am I not in this business? Uh, well, I, I don't want to necessarily <laughs> disclose. We could, we could invite him on the, on the show. Yeah, he, he's actually very interesting show. and his company is just killing it. Um, well, yeah, he buys it for three and sells it for $10,000. <laughs> I bet he is killing it, it. it. I mean, the chip is part of a much larger implementation okay. uh, of everything else. But uh, but the chip is like the crux of it, right? Like without the chip, nothing else works. So um, so that, that, that was his particular leaf behind. Another entrepreneur um, had seeds uh, for the type of plant, and, and it was all tied into her story. Colorado-based um, company? Not, not a Colorado-based company. That's a good one, though. Um, all, all about the type of plant that she brought to someone's hospital room when they were uh, had a ter terminal illness. Her software company is all around helping connect families who are dealing with a terminal illness in the family. Um, and it was just a brilliant idea. After her pitch on the Verge stage, she had seeds out in the lobby for everyone that they could take home, obviously with her contact information. Um, she also has since closed her round of funding and is... Nice is now already talking about her next round of funding, um, like any good entrepreneur would, would do, like you're doing. Um, so it's been really rewarding to kind of see this whole process. And, um, and I, I told you that I would tell you the w number one thing that you, an entrepreneur can do yeah. with Thread and that will 10x the results. And uh, if, you, if you think about how an entrepreneur prepares for a pitch, uh, 
your story of ironing pants while you're already late for the meeting uh, is very typical, right? I've lived that, yeah. in, in the, you know, in my earlier youthful days. Um, and oh, sure. Now you're on time all the time. <laughs> yeah, I was on time today. Uh, so I was early for the first time ever today. Hey, for the meeting, for the meetings that is don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up, and oh yeah, don't fuck it up. I'm on time for those. Um, but younger self would not have been. Yeah. Younger self would have been trying to figure out how to iron pants. Um, so, so the, the which I can do now, by the way. What's that? I can do that now. I, I learned how to do that. Dude, that's huge. That's yeah. huge. Um, steamer. Yeah. If you haven't invested in a steamer yet, I haven't. That's that's the number one. My thing. COO tried to steam his shirt while wearing it once. How'd that work out for him? He burned the shit out of himself. I'm, I'm like, sure. really? Did you just do that? <laughs> You're one of the smartest people I know, that's and you amazing. just steamed your arm. That's amazing. Um, so the the number one thing an, an entrepreneur can do is, is practice. Most entrepreneurs do the like, oh, I'm gonna work on the deck, work on the deck, work on the deck. So this is the pitch. I'm gonna work on the deck, work on the deck get feedback, oh shit, I read an article that actually says it's better to do it like this. Rework the deck, rework the deck, rework the deck. Oh God, I just pitched it to this meetup group and it fell on deaf ears. Go back to the drawing board, rethink the deck, rethink the deck. So not to sidetrack what you're, you're, you're maybe about to say, I've I found that the deck is minimally important. Absolutely. Not important at all, really. It I mean, should be it supplementary could be, to... It could be pictures of cats. You have to have a core. fine. You have to have a core. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of about fine. People might think you're crazy. They think it was funny, I bet, if you had a cat They probably think it's funny. There, yeah. And actually, I had three cats in my pitch deck for Social Reactor, which See? is a startup that I did. Uh, we just become best friends? Yeah, totally. I had Grumpy Cat. <laughs> I had uh, Lil Bub. And I had whatever internet famous cat there is. Nice. Um, they were all in, in the presentation. Uh, it was a social uh, social platform, so it kind of played into that. But yeah, all cats. Just, <laughs> just do all cats. Uh, all caps and all cats. Uh, so I, so I, I, I think that if you can uh, get to that core uh, early and have that 80% and then you're fiddling with the 20%, mm-hmm. that gets 80% of the results. So if you're f- familiar with Pareto's Law or the 80-20 rule. Yep. Um, the the information is what is the eighty twenty rule? Just go right. ahead and state so it. So the eighty twenty rule is, uh, in anything you do, it can be like workout at the gym, it can be um in your relationship, you know, and um being appreciated by your spouse. In, in any given thing, twenty percent of what you do gets eighty percent of the results that you're looking for, and you you still have to do all of those things probably, but you want to focus in and trying to find what are those twenty percent that are working and really getting results. And so in this thing, you you've got to have a hundred percent, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't have a hundred percent of twenty percent. Um, so so you can. you can, but you get what I'm saying. I mean, I'm not good at the math. The, the beer but. is kicking in. So <laughs> good. So the. The 80% is the information that you're going to deliver. And that's going to get you 20% of the results, right? In that presentation. But then 20% is going to be the the delivery and practice of that delivery. And so spend your time on that 20% and get that 80% of the w- out of the way early. Like at the risk of like forgetting to mention one key client that you've already landed or at the risk of, oh, but I won XYZ competition uh, or award in such and such time. We've got to find a way to work that into the pitch. Don't worry about that. Yeah, don't worry about the yeah, stupid spend award. Your, yeah, <laughs> spend your... Yeah, spend your... And and 
a lot of entrepreneurs kind of have that analytical brain that are just like reworking uh, and reordering. Oh, it's easy to get lost in. It really is. And it, it, and it has nothing. It, it, it is all about the, <laughs> it's all about the presentation. Yep. Not the presentation, if that makes sense. I, I don't know. Uh, How would you say that? Well, because I, I think you understand what I would just tried to say. I, I, I <laughs> it's all about the performance, yeah, and not yes. the presentation. Yes, totally, exactly, nailed it. And, and Thank I, you. I think that the, <laughs> I think that the thread thread is one of the core concepts of the book, and that it like it gives you like the, uh, the presentation, mm-hmm. but then the rest of the book is all around the presentation, the yeah. the performance of that, um, and the delivery of that, and making sure that you are. Um, a good pitch shouldn't just be you performing, right? It, you know, people, and, and people treat it like this, right? Um, you know, VCs walk into the boardroom and you're like, okay, I've got 20 minutes to talk. It's like, no, that is totally the wrong way to do it. You know, you want to start having a conversation. A good pitch is a conversation and it's going to keep the, the people in that room off their phones. It's going to keep the people in those, if you can keep people off engaged. their phones, you are doing well. It is absolutely, yeah, and you got to have something. Isn't that funny? That's an indicator nowadays. That's totally an indi- yeah, indicator. Absolutely, yeah. And at Verge, we encourage people to be on their phones because we want them to share socially and <laughs> yeah. and uh, and and be giving feedback because our app actually allows people to give feedback now, um, which is one of the most important parts of entrepreneurship is getting good feedback from people that actually care and have an outcome in your success or a stake in the outcome. Um, and so I I think that I, I think that if you can keep that room engaged. And it might not be a room; it might be an elevator, right? Like that's an—we all know, we've all heard of yep. the elevator, the pitch, elevator pitch, uh, which literally happened last night when I was going down the elevator from Verge. Someone came into uh, the elevator and was like, was "Like, hey, uh, like, hey, I'm working on XYZ startup." I'm like, "Cool, uh, I guess this is an elevator pitch." And then we just rode the nice. elevator together, uh, and it was kind of the, the the literal elevator pitch, which of course led its way led it way to the curb because he. He didn't actually. He engaged you. He didn't actually engage me. He didn't. Uh, you were being I, nice. <laughs> it was a, it was a coachable moment. I've been drinking. It was a coachable moment. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you know, we had a conversation about it, and um, and you know, we'll we'll reconnect and rework the pitch later, but um, but it's it just you gotta have you gotta be ready and prepared for different scenarios, mm-hmm. and um, I, I could go way deep on this, so you gotta cut me off. At no, some point. I don't want to cut you off. You're you're <laughs> you're you're you're, you're shitting magic here. Uh-oh. Like it's it's good. It's all rock solid, and I love all of it because I can relate with it. That's a, on a very an unfortunate level. symptom of being a magician. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Carry on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's the book we're working on, and actually, uh, we're, we've done a series of interviews because we'll be turning it into a course that people can take as well, uh, an online course uh-huh. that people can take kind of in cohorts or like as a class. Um, and so then after we're through that phase, we'll focus on what's the next thing, what's the next biggest inflection point that we can focus on, you know, finding the people that are best in the world at this thing and then writing the book. Or maybe it's not a book. Maybe we find out people hate books. We uh, actually haven't found that out. But <laughs> but if we did, we would you know find a different format. You know Maybe they, they're looking for a musical about you know, hiring talent. I, so, uh, you know. I, little secret about me: I love musicals. So oh, yeah? that'd be fantastic. I actually, yeah. I, I love good musicals. Yeah, but a bad musical could be good for bad you know, musicals are really bad. <laughs> yeah, but they're that could really be good, bad. Right? What's your favorite musical? Uh, My Fair Lady's pretty fucking good. I don't think I've seen that. Is one. that? Am I saying it right? Mm, what's the one? The the rain on the plane, or the rain in Spain falls mostly on the plane. What the fuck? It's My Fair Lady, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. This is two and a half beers. It's not Sound talking. of Music, is it? It's not Sound of Music. Sound of Music is good, too. 
There were planes in Sound of Music. Were there? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's um, My Fair Lady. All right, I'll check it out. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Uh, Audrey Hepburn movie. Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Okay. Now I sound like a total douche. Old school. <laughs> my, my old school... I mean, old school to me. Uh, the Book of Mormon was fantastic, too. You know what? I never actually saw that. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so, so good. I would love to see that. Yeah. That would be awesome. The Music Man is my favorite old school one. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't Man. seen it. Oh, that one's good because it's like... Is it on Netflix? Like The Music Man is like very businessy. Uh, I don't know. I should check it out. I will find out. I might find out Sunday. Music. This is like the most... Uh, <laughs> Most notes I have for shit that I'm going to do afterwards. Uh-oh. Giving you a to-do list. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and then, of course, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, that's great. That's so good. It's so good. Uh, there are so many quotes from that movie that I that I use, and people would probably just think I'm like some like backwoods hillbilly, <laughs> but I'll just like th- I'll just like slip it into normal conversation. Nice. Uh, and it was like, hey, where'd Mike go? I don't know. He done R-U-N-N-O-F-T. <laughs> I'm like, what? And then I just don't even address it. So speaking of humor, um, we had a guest on here, Scott Long. He's a stand-up comedian from the Midwest, and um, he has recently started business coaching. Mm. Um, it, it's on the same topic of what we're—I mean, that's why I wrote his name down—of uh, uh, pitching. Hmm. As I was watching, I was so I was watching the Verge pitches last night, and I actually texted him. I'm like, these people could use your help. Like, I yeah. watched the first two pitches, and they really needed some help in their pitch, and yeah. and. Scott Long um, does a really so he does coaching for CEOs anybody that wants to be better at public speaking or just in general about bringing humor to a pitch mm. so I don't know if there's any synergies Humor's there so huge oh it's huge huge I don't think the I mean the room laughed maybe twice last night and you were on the mic yeah. so no I mean that's great <laughs> well not not for the presenters <laughs> yeah. no it's good for the presenters they, they need to you're right um, so He's doing that, and he's doing a great job of it. Um, I actually had him work with me a little bit, and uh, I've always wanted to do a stand-up act. I thought that'd be great. Yeah, so that's on my bucket list too. Yeah, yeah, it would it would be fantastic. Do you watch a lot of stand-up? Laughed. Yeah. What's your favorite um, right now? I'm not. I can't remember his fucking name. I just watched it on Netflix. Um, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you. You got, you have a, one of his jokes memorized. I don't have any of his jokes memorized. He just, uh, uh, God, it was like, he's like, he's got this whole bit about finding Will Smith's wallet and how he's always hoped he could find Will Smith's wallet so he could give Will Smith's wallets back to him and Will Smith would buy him a helicopter, you know, (laughs) but he doesn't find Will Smith's wallet. He finds this other guy's wallet and he can't reconnect with the guy, but then he's in a restaurant a year later and the waiter is the guy of the wallet he found. Oh, wow. Yeah. But earlier he had called his dad and is like, uh, don't worry about giving it back to him. My son's a total loser. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he reconnects with the guy via chance in New York. You know, like what are the odds like of that? total serendipity. Yeah. And he's like, okay, just here, come to my hotel room. I'll give you back my wallet. And he's thinking, oh, this guy, I mean, he was little, he was a little off standing at the restaurant. Right. He comes back to my room. I give him my wallet. And he's like, thank you. And turns around and walks away. And he went out the door and he said, hey. And the guy turns around. And he's like, your dad was right. You will never amount to anything. <laughs> like it was, that was one of them. It, it's really great. He's got this whole bit on. I uh, haven't seen that one. I no. watch a lot of stand up. Like if if Tim, I watch something on Netflix, Tim Sargento. I want to say his name is. Okay. I don't know. I'll look it up. I I don't. That doesn't ring a bell. I can pull it up on my Netflix. I, if you haven't gotten into Mike Birbiglia yet on Netflix, he's got a couple amazing amazing specials. What's his last name? Birbiglia. B i r b i g l i a. A L A, 
B I R G I R B B I R B I G I G I G. You have so many G's in there. I got it. I'll write it. I'll write it down for you after the show. So we found out Josh is illiterate on this episode, which is actually kind of true. But no, I think I think there's a lot from comedy that you can. And actually, there are some concepts in stand-up comedy that we've worked into the book as well. Not to keep bringing it back to you. No, like what? But but I was actually just out in L.A. I was actually just out in L.A. um, week before last, maybe. And we I went to my first comedy show out there at the comedy store, Um, and it was it was phenomenal. It was actually my girlfriend's first time seeing stand-up comedy live ever, Um, and we had first watched. Um, oh gosh. Tim Tom Segura. I was way off. Tom Segura. I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. he's great. Okay, yeah. I'll have to check that out. Uh, I think I've seen that like recommended for me, but I was just like, I don't know who you are. No, no, it's fantastic. Um, Love every second of it. All right, cool. I might even watch that tonight. <laughs> um, but uh, Louis C.K. is like a, a good oh, standby. Can't go wrong there. Yeah. My girlfriend had never watched stand-up comedy. Period. Like recorded live, anything. Did you blow her mind with it? Yeah. Like, we, we watched Lucy Gay. I don't think we stopped laughing, <laughs> like, the entire time. Because, like, most of the time, I was just laughing at her. Because she was kind of like, eh, sure. Like, we'll try it. And then it was just, like, nonstop laughter. And she cries when she laughs. So, that's just hilarious to me. <laughs> um, so, that was... So, you're laughing at her laughing? Uh, yeah. And then laughing at myself, laughing at her. It's, it's it, you know... Just big laugh loop. That's how, it's, that's how you know it's good. That's how you know it's good stand-up. Fantastic. Um, so... One more. I, we got to cover a failure. You talk, you've, you've talked about a flop uh, several times in this uh, conversation, but I don't think you've talked about it. Yeah. What, what, what happened? So you find this a lot with, with startups, especially like tech startups, um, just because they're generally pretty low overhead mm-hmm. um, or can be if you build them right. You don't really fail until you decide you're done. Right, so you so, so it's not just like oh man, this thing happened and boom, it was done and it exploded, imploded. There are stories like that, um, but for a lot of startups, you have to just kind of like be like, if we don't get to this mark, we have to pull the plug. We have to just call it, and we did that. <laughs> we did that, and then like renegotiated it, you know, amongst the two of us, and like two or three times, and finally we're just like, listen, like th- it's, this is not its time. It's just not its time, um, and so. Uh, it was non-toxic personal care products and cosmetics delivered and purchased on the internet and delivered on a subscription method like Birchbox. Yeah. Um, Dollar Shave Club type thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, bef- like f- freaking seven years before that was like... A, you were just ahead of your time. We were we were trying to do too many things at once. Um, and, and then on top of that, uh, because it was such a small industry, meaning like the the retailers that were actually creating products that were non-toxic, um, meaning not like not uh, like Whole Foods says it's clean makeup or you know organic or fresh, like it's all like totally, um, uh, or or they can even say that it's non-toxic <laughs> or or whatever free, and it's like totally unregulated. Uh-huh. Um, Th- these products, which many of them are large companies now, but at the time they were small boutique like did not drop ship, which meant we had to take on inventory, which means, you know, we did friends and family round, uh, bought all the products, held inventory in Lexington, Kentucky, 
uh, and a drop shipping facility. We built everything to scale, uh, which was silly because we didn't have the volume coming in uh-huh. to build to scale, which meant that our run rate. I've learned that lesson. Yeah. <laughs> our, our runway was much shorter. Um, and our burn rate was much higher, meaning we we're burning through our cash faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had to keep putting it back in. You mean your investment rate? Right, <laughs> right, exactly. And then, uh, and then on top of it, you know, most of my marketing experience at the time was not like, uh, was not create a brand and then like get people to buy into it and create a category, uh, a, a new category basically. And, and this is, that's what was happening at the time was a new category was being created. And we didn't have a lot of competitors, which can be good, but actually in that sort of thing, it can be fucking terrible too, because if you don't have competitors, you don't have a market. So yeah. So like things that I knew how to do really well, like SEO, um, internet marketing, copywriting, uh, we were doing all of those things, but like the terms, like the, the terms that were getting the, that had the most monthly searches were like 1500 a month. That's really, really low to base a business. Yeah. off of um you know that can be a really great niche keyword and like maybe is like one of our long tail uh keywords at verge now that, but otherwise we're focusing on like 10,000 plus uh visits and and not just one <laughs> you know so uh it, it just wasn't there yet now you go and search some of the terms that we were trying to rank for back then if we had stayed with it um and and kept going and organically grown it and grown it and grown it um i think it, it still could could have been something. Uh, but the fact of the matter was, you know, Verge kind of blew up in a good way at that time. Um, I was finding that like the things that I was doing there, I was doing for no money at all. Well, things I was doing at Repurify was also for no money. Um, but it was it was in anticipation of uh-huh. a payout. Whereas like the things I was doing for Verge, I was just like intrinsically found rewarding. Um, and so I had- uh, Which is way more important than money. I, I absolutely, and, and eventually leads to yeah. Uh, more money i i believe anyway well when i so when i started bottoms up i literally danced around once I, I invented it right so i'm like i just figured this shit out and i danced around like i'm gonna be a billionaire i'm gonna be a, <laughs> literally this is a real day that happened for me yeah and i have been kicked in the balls so many fucking times it doesn't it money doesn't matter to me at all and i don't mean that metaphorically i don't mean that in any i'm not trying to sound snide or whatever i just it doesn't mean anything it's the the ride i'm on is what i'm here for now and i don't know when that happened necessarily but it's really fantastic oh yeah it's a way better way if, if you can't find happiness in the pursuit of happiness then you're wasting your time and you should go do something else yeah totally agree totally agree it's yeah. it's all about the the process yeah and i i think that um repair for got to the point where the process was not fun anymore yeah. And, and it was just, it got to the point where it was just demoralizing. And and certainly I've had that with other businesses and like pushed through it. But it, it was just to the point where it was like, why would I spend more time doing this thing when this other thing is going so well? And my, my business partner um, had started his own agency at the time, which was also doing really, really well. Still is just, I, from what I know, just kicking butt and, and doing awesome things in the industry that he's in. Uh, which is funny because his key differentiator is that he's brought like the startup world into his agency. Um, so it's that I think he got something out of the process uh-huh. too. I certainly got a lot out of the process. Um, I don't think I would ever do an e-commerce business like that again, where we're you know holding uh, 170 SKUs. Uh, I might 
do an e-commerce business again if it's like a single product that's clearly differentiated and clearly the best mm-hmm. uh, in in all aspects. Uh, but but that that sort of thing just um, didn't really speak to me uh, after a certain point. Oh no, I get it. Yeah. And then when I, I mean, realized that politics... You don't look like a bath and body type person to me. I mean... <laughs> I, I don't know how to take that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, uh, I, I will go shower immediately when I get home. Um, but I, uh, but I no, I, uh, <laughs> the, the, the thing that I, I did get really passionate about is I am, I am very much like a, a mind-body health kind of guy. And I definitely got behind and like really deep into the science around, you know, everything has chemicals and everything has toxins. I find I take it back. The shirt I'm wearing, <laughs> you know, maybe not this shirt because it's a verge shirt, but every other shirt has chemicals in it. You know, this, uh, this barrel has chemicals in it. This, uh, glass because it was manufactured, uh, in an industrial age sort of way uh-huh. has chemicals in it that are going to seep into whatever I put in it over time. Um, it's actually Triton. It's not supposed to do that. BPA free. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Um, and, and see BPA free was like a, like a hippy dippy word, like in, in 2009 when we started this company, but now it's like totally mainstream. Yeah. No, it's um, super so like those legit. Are some of the terms that we were like, right. You know, uh-huh. ranking for at the time, but it's like, great. All 57 people that came to the site, <laughs> the- uh, one of them bought a bottle of shampoo. <laughs> now I so. got, I got a question then. Does it, does it hurt a little bit when you see your vision kind of being brought by other companies to a much bigger scale, something that you started and then kind of bailed on and then watching it just blow up in front of you going, that was us? Um, yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense that it's like, it's sort of like, damn, like we did it wrong and, and here's why, right? And it could have been this version of this thing. Uh, no, because timing, I mean, Timing is everything. You hear uh, entrepreneurs say this all the time. We were, you know, we were just lucky. Is that is the case with most businesses? We were just lucky. You came up with this technology before someone else, maybe at the same time, maybe even after someone else did. But you, you it's got funny it that you say that. There were actually three technologies that landed in the patent office at the exact same time that we couldn't have known about each other. One was, I mean, two were European and one was us and they just i mean they were different enough that we won the battle but yeah. that's awesome I, I mean that's i'm not at all surprised by that because i hear that all the time yeah and yeah timing is everything so i think um the other the other piece of it i i think that if if that was the business if, if i look back and i was like man i was having so much more fun on repurify than uh than i did or i was doing so much cool shit with repurify uh and man i wish i could still do cool shit but like I, I'm loving, I'm doing so much more cool shit now than I was doing, uh, you know, in my bedroom at the time with Repurify. Uh, and it's so much more intrinsically rewarding and financially rewarding than it was uh, that, that I feel like it was it was necessary to have that so I could compare what I have now and, and all the other ventures uh, that I either started or helped grow uh-huh. uh, along the way. And... Uh, and so, so the short answer, I guess, is, is actually no, uh, but, but yes, in, in some senses. And it, I, more so from the standpoint of, I really like to look at, um, look back at a failure and, and find that, like find the nuggets again, like yeah. go, go mining for the gold in that experience where you fell on your face or got turned down or, or whatever and say, all right, like put emotions aside 
for a second, put ego aside. Which is a very hard thing to do sometimes. It's, it it, it yeah. is, definitely, especially... It's one thing I've gotten really good at. Especially for entrepreneurs. Yeah, you have to. You have to. You have to. Uh, I'm aware I'm an idiot. I just start there and I'm like... Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> totally. As long as you just assume you're an idiot and you're like, of course this happened. I'm an idiot. What's funny is I know everyone else is an idiot too. Yeah. It's like we had a... The Lee's Donuts, the guy um, was the founder, not founder, third generation, but has taken it to a completely new level. Um, or Jack's on it. His name is Lee. See, I'm an idiot. Uh, he was talking about how he was, in, you know, he finds himself in meetings where he's intimidated, and then, and I'm like, I never find myself in that position anymore because I realize the other person on the other side of the table is just like me. Yeah. He's an idiot too. We're two idiots just trying to do the best we can at what we're doing. And totally, it, it, I don't know if that's a weird way to look at it, but it really helps me through my day. So, well, and, and people are just idiots in different ways. Too. Yes, exactly. You know, like, yeah, I, I know. Um, and it's all uh, it's all relative. Yeah, it's right? all completely relative. It's all relative, and I, I think I think that's an interesting thing. You know, um, even like just looking at like celebrities or like micro celebrities in a specific industry. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment you have a conversation with someone like that, and and I've been fortunate enough uh, with Verge and with other things to have conversations with lots of celebrities or micro, micro celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, you realize that, yeah, like there are savants in in some category or some level, uh, but total idiots in, in <laughs> yeah. other ways. It's uh, amazing. Just like I aspire to be a yeah. savant in in one area. It takes a village. And, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's uh, one of one of my biggest advice or biggest pieces of advice for anybody <laughs> that's trying to do anything is to um, well, it's put your ego aside and and recognize what you're good at and be good at it. And bring in other people that are good at things to mm-hmm. do the things that need to be done, because uh, so many entrepreneurs fail because they try to do everything, and you can't. You gotta let you gotta let go and trust people to do maybe what you would consider a subpar job. Because I'm told I'm a perfectionist, even though I don't think I am. Um, you know, and and just don't try to do it all. You know, I don't. What what would be your biggest piece of advice to somebody that is? I think that's a pretty good one working uh working their day job hating it and just they got this really good idea that they want to try start doing shit you like and stop <laughs> doing shit you hate i had a, I had a conversation <laughs> with <laughs> that's great that's really simply put <laughs> i added way too many words to that um i had a conversation with somebody at verge last night who was on the fence of doing their own thing like taking it to the next level yeah and i'm like why why are you even talking to me about it why aren't you doing it um and it you know it went a little further and i'm like what's the worst that could happen i mean so what you're, you're going to be homeless do you know how much fucking fun being homeless would be yeah. like you could build the coolest cardboard hut you'd have the best time being homeless i mean you you were an entrepreneur because you'd taken himself to a certain point i'm like you're an entrepreneur you are so whatever you're going to do you you know you're going to bring some pizzazz to you're going to take it to the next level at least that's what i try to do i think being homeless would be fun Am I the only one? Hey, I mean, if you're bringing pizzazz <laughs> to homelessness, I, I I would love to see that. I'll just add one caveat. I would be homeless in San Diego. Yeah. Yes. So at least you're in great weather. I would or hitchhike. Venice Beach. I was just there. there I was go. like, man. Look, look at this business Those guys are living a life. I would I would hitchhike to San Diego. I would I would be the best bum I could possibly be. I'd write a book about it and I'd be back on top in no time. Totally. <laughs> well, I think that's, um, uh, that, that's actually one of Dale Carnegie's uh, follow-up books. Um, to how to win friends and influence people. How to be homeless and be great at it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, 
the that piece of like getting comfortable with the worst case scenario uh, is from his uh, his book about dealing with stress, and I'm just blanking on the title uh, of of what it is. I'm also blanking on the title, but I know exactly what book you're talking about. Yeah, but it it, it yeah. and that kind of gets its roots in like the philosophies of Stoicism, um, going back to like uh, letters from a Stoic and Seneca and and the philosophers who are kind of are in that uh, realm of thought that if you can just get comfortable with, you know, yeah, if everything screws up and this is the worst decision ever, which, uh, you know, I I have certainly made plenty of those and like things have continued to be okay. You know, obviously there's a brief period of like hurt yeah, or, or uh, you know, bad things that come out of that, but ultimately sort of like the old trite phrase of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Oh, like what Kevin said last night. I mean, the pain is necessary for, for what's next and everything painful if you just frame it. In, and, and it really, he was saying that and I'm like, this is, this is gold. Everybody in the room should really be listening right now because everything that is painful that happens, if you view it as happening for a reason. Why? Yeah, and you start looking for the why, you start looking for it. Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? I mean, after... The SWAT team entered my house and, you know, I'm looking at five years in prison. I'm like, why the fuck did this happen to me? You know, I had a great job lined up. I was supposed to go be a lineman in California making $120,000 a year. I was going to be great. And my life fell apart and I started looking for the why and then disappeared. So it's it's all about looking for the why in the bad situations that really it takes. I mean, that's what brings you to the next level. If you can If you can fail and not consider yourself a failure, but just look at the why or look for the why. Yeah. It, it, it really... I don't know. That's how I sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> Which is important as we discussed. Yeah, it is important as we discussed. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, I mean, I could I could talk at length at, at any given moment <laughs> about any subject um, or listen or ask questions. Uh, which is actually what I prefer doing. Listening and asking uh, questions. What's that? Yes. Yeah. Dale Carnegie. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Uh, but my voice is starting to go and uh, <laughs> I, I probably should as well. Yeah. So uh, Great I, I, segue I appreciate out. you having me on. Yeah. It was been, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on. It's, it's uh, been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's fun listening to your stories and I can relate with all of it on so many levels. Yeah. That's likewise, great. I want to hear more of yours. Maybe we can get you on the Verge stage sometime. Yeah. That would be fantastic. I would love to be on the Verge stage, do a little bottoms up fireside. Absolutely. Yeah. That'd it, be cool. It would be great. All right, man. Let's make it happen. Yep. I, I would throw up all over your book. I hope you like. It. I mean, if you're looking for criticism, great at it. All right, awesome. <laughs> I'll, I'll send it to you. It's like an right. I'm a total thing. asshole. awkward in the episode yes <laughs> that, that, cue the awkward ending